What's going on? It's Mark Malusa's Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Ah, yes, a good Saturday morning to one and all. Mark Malusa's flying solo here on this Memorial Day weekend Saturday. A good morning to one and all as we're taking a... For the next four hours right here on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. That is your number to call to uh, get involved. Hit us up on Twitter, at Mark Malusis or at Moose and Maggie. Two ways you can go about doing that. And uh, pleasant good Saturday to one and all. Uh, 855-212-4CBS coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. And... Got a good show on tap. Rashad McCants, former Tar Heels, going to be playing that big uh, three-on-three league. Uh, will join us a little later on in the program. Steve Phillips, uh, former uh, Major League Baseball general manager with the Mets. And now you hear him all over the place, MLB Radio um, and the like on Sirius XM will join us a little later on in the program as well. And we'll do a little Stanley, Stanley Cup playoff hockey as Ken Danico, a former longtime New Jersey Devil defenseman, We'll uh, talk about the Stanley Cup Finals between the Predators and Penguins, which gets going on Monday night out in Pittsburgh. Uh, We'll chat about that with Ken and get his thoughts on whether Pittsburgh makes it back-to-back years with Stanley Cup championships or whether this will be the Predators season. But we begin with a little bit about the NBA. And we've got a while, a while, until these NBA Finals get going between the Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. June 1st to June 18th, if it goes a full seven games, the trilogy, third year in a row that these two teams will match up. We know what went year number one Golden State's way over LeBron James as they suffered a cavalcade of injuries, whether it be Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving uh, that first year, that initial season. Then year number two last year, LeBron and the Cavaliers coming back from three games to one down the block, the big shot by Kyrie to win it and beat Golden State, the suspension in the series on Draymond Green. And history was made as Cleveland went out there and broke the curse and the streak and finally brought a professional championship back home to Cleveland. As bad as these NBA playoffs have been, and we've articulated it, we've talked about it. We've talked about the fact that they've been non-competitive. I mean, you look at the very fact that, you know, Golden State 4-4-4 swept their way 12-0 perfect um, in the uh, postseason in the NBA playoffs as they get themselves to the NBA Finals. The Cleveland Cavaliers, stunningly enough, lost one game to the Boston Celtics, uh, but they took them 13 games, just 13 to get themselves to the NBA Finals, but not even just about their dominance, right? And now, as you sat and you watched last summer as Kevin Durant went to Golden State, it was a fait accompli. I mean, you had Jeff Van Gundy days after all the Hamptons meetings out there in beautiful Long Island over the course of the summer as Boston met with him in Oklahoma City, Durant that is, in Golden State, and everybody made their pitch to try and get, bring Kevin Durant uh, in as he was getting wined and dined and see if they can go out there and get him to leave Oklahoma City. And the decision that he made to go to Golden State, you know, 24, 36, 48 hours later, it was kind of already decided that, and Jeff Van Gundy said it best, I mean, the Golden State Warriors have already won the NBA title as long as they go out there and stay healthy. And you knew there was not great, great competition 
in any way, shape, or form for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference. The question we get going here on this Saturday morning for you guys at 855-212-4CBS is this. As bad as these NBA playoffs have been, is it worth it to get the matchup that we're going to get? Is it going to pay off for Adam Silver and the NBA owners? Is it going to pay off with big bonanza ratings, all-time great ratings when we get these NBA finals going on June the 1st? Are they going to be able to reap the benefits or are we going to all forget about exactly what transpired throughout the course of these NBA playoffs? Is that going to be a thing of the past because finally we get the matchup that we all wanted? Now, listen, I'm not rooting for upset, and I wanted to get this matchup. And I've been critical of the NBA throughout the course of the postseason in terms of how non-competitive it is. And it is. I mean, Toronto... You want to talk about an organization that embarrassed themselves against the Cleveland Cavaliers? It was embarrassing. You look at the Boston Celtics, at least they showed you, if they lose a game by 44 points, at least the Boston Celtics show you a little bit of that quote-unquote Celtic pride with their big bounce-back Game 3 victory. Now, you know, they blow a huge lead in Game 4, and they get absolutely trucked and steamrolled in Game 5 at home. But with that being said, at least they won a game. But we've talked about these NBA playoffs where memorable games, memorable games, some Memphis-San Antonio, decent enough. Certainly the Grizzlies head coach making a name for himself with some of his post-game press conferences. Wizards and Celtics, entertaining enough. Not so much anything except for the brilliant performances of LeBron and Steph and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving when you look at any series that the Cavaliers and or the Golden State Warriors took part in, nothing of great memory, no great all-time great games that we saw between those two teams or involving those two teams throughout the course of these NBA playoffs. So you've not had a great run. I mean, hell, you've even had Charles Barkley going out there the other night, you know, after game five, walking into the press room, telling them to put on game seven between the Senators and the Penguins and telling everybody on TNT that the Stanley Cup playoffs are better than the NBA playoffs. And we've said time and time again, it has been an issue. But I ask you this, do you care? Because we like upsets. We do, right? That's why we love it when, you know, a 15 beats a two or a 14 seed or a 13 seed win in the in the uh, March Madness in the NCAA tournament The problem you have with that is this. Is that you have to deal with the after effects, right? You've got to see that team go out there and play again. And then the fear is, when will the clock strike midnight on Cinderella? And are they going to go out there and get steamrolled? Because you want to see great games. I mean, that's the reason why you tune into the NCAA tournament. That's the reason why you tune into the... Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA playoffs, baseball playoffs, the NFL play. That's why you, you want to see the great teams go out there and play. There's just not a lot of great teams here in the NBA. There's two, maybe three when Kawhi Leonard and Tony Parker are healthy, but in all likelihood, it's two and then it's everybody else. But will the below average NBA playoffs pay off with a scintillating NBA finals? And how locked in are you come June 1st? Because now it's the great anticipation. Now it's birthday week. It's waiting and anticipating. It's the 
you know, getting closer and closer to Christmas Eve and Santa arriving on Christmas Day. Finally, you know, all the patience and the year-long patience has paid off. Everything you've had to deal with, all the bad basketball, the inane regular season, which was absolutely dreadful. I don't care what anybody, what any NBA sycophant tells you. I mean, the NBA regular season was dreadful, aside from a couple interesting storylines, whether it be Harden or Westbrook in the um, race to be the MVP in the NBA, whether it be the surprise that was the Houston Rockets. Aside from that, maybe Isaiah Thomas of the Boston Celtics, interesting. But there were no big games in the NBA regular season. Maybe Durant going back to Oklahoma City, that's it. But even that, is he never looked at Oklahoma City as being a true title contender, and that's the difference here. But we get the matchup we've been waiting for. And I'll tell you, from my vantage point, I think from Adam Silver, for Adam Silver, and for the NBA, it's going to reap benefits. Because I think this is going to be a series, as long as it goes a decent enough distance, and I mean by six games, as long as we get six games and a little bit of intrigue, as long as we get an interesting matchup to where to the point where it's not Golden State running roughshod over Cleveland, and I would have a hard time envisioning that the best player in the world, and that is LeBron James, is going to get embarrassed in the NBA Finals. I have a hard time believing that. Although I do believe Golden State wins the title and they are a deserved favorite, I think it does pay off. Because we as basketball fans, as sport fans, our memories are short-lived, right? You forget about things kind of quickly. You're like a cornerback in the National Football League. You're on to the next play. You're not thinking about Toronto and Cleveland. You're not thinking about bad playoff series that you had to sit through. You're not thinking about... You know, things that you had to go to and turn to in the second half of an NBA playoff game to keep you entertained on a Thursday night or a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night because the product you were watching was downright dreadful. You're not thinking about it because we all finally have gotten the matchup that we've waited a year for. We've waited for this rematch. We've waited for this to be in a third year in a row. We've waited to see what Durant could go out there and do year number one in Golden State. We've waited. We've had to deal with a bad NBA regular season. We've had to deal with all in all a bad NBA playoffs up until this point in time. But finally, we get the NBA finals we've been waiting for. And the question is for you, will it pay off? Is it going to be worth the wait? Are you going to be locked in? Do you have June 1st circled on the calendar? Have you cut out the swath of time it's going to take in order to watch that NBA game? even as late of a game as it starts, as the start time goes. Can you wait for Golden State in Cleveland? Are you willing to forgive the NBA and Adam Silver for the inept postseason, inept regular season, because we get the matchup we've all been looking forward to? 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. I'll give you my answer to that. And Kevin Durant had some interesting things to say about parity in the NBA, saying, don't blame me. Well, maybe, maybe not. Give you my reaction to what KD had to say. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie, Mark Malusis, flying solo here on this Saturday morning. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of your day. 
Welcome to the weekend, a holiday weekend. Hopefully uh, you enjoy it. Friends, family, barbecue, and the like. Thank a uh, serviceman or woman for their service to our country. And remember those that have given their lives to our country as well. We'll keep you entertained for the next three plus. Melusis with you on this Saturday morning, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. That's your number to call again. Bob, Mark Melusis flying solo here on this Saturday morning, on this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, at Mark Melusis or at Moose and Maggie, at CBS Sports Radio. Three ways you can go about doing that. Let's head out to Jersey. It's Ben at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Ben? Ben. I guess Ben is not paying attention. So there you go. All right, Kevin Durant made some interesting comments uh, about him and parity in the NBA and saying that don't blame me. Um, And interesting, um, and he told this to the USA Today, and here's his quotes. Like, I'm the reason why blank Orlando, and he shot a curse word, couldn't make the playoffs for five, six years in a row. Uh, Am I the reason that Brooklyn gave all their picks to Boston Like, I'm the reason that they are not that good. I can't play for every team, so the truth of the matter is I left one team. It's one more team than that you probably would have thought would have been a contender. One more team. I couldn't have made the entire East better. I could have made everybody – I couldn't have made everybody else in the West better. Well, listen, you know, what Durant has to say at the base of it is true. Right, All he did was leave Oklahoma City. But it was a Thunder team a year ago that did have Golden State down 3-1 in their respective series before the Warriors came rolling back. Correct? Correct. It was, a, it was an Oklahoma City team where he had two stars that were not only drafted, and they had three at one point in time. We know about the Harden trade, been there, done that. Atrocious decision by Oklahoma City. But it was an Oklahoma City team that had drafted and developed two young superstars that clearly had raised the level of the Thunder here moving forward. Correct? Yes, correct. So, no. I mean, it is not Kevin Durant's fault that the Knicks are an embarrassment. It is not Kevin Durant's fault that Brooklyn made and Billy King made an atrocious, atrocious trade. With the Boston Celtics. It is not his fault that the Toronto Raptors showed little to no heart. It's not his fault that Isaiah Thomas, when he's in the basketball game, can't go out there and defend. It's not his fault for every, every fault and shortcoming of every other NBA team. It's not his fault that the San Antonio Spurs have gotten old. It's not his fault that you look at the Los Angeles Clippers and they are dysfunctional. It's not his fault that the Houston Rockets don't play any defense. It's not his fault that the Portland Trailblazers, all they are is a backcourt, not much else. It is not his fault. Every other issue that the Philadelphia 76ers have embraced tanking. tanking. It's not his fault that the Los Angeles Lakers have not been able to get out of their own way after Kobe Bryant showed the great and stark decline at the end of his career paid him like he was Michael Jordan, even though he wasn't, and now are dealing with the after effects thereafter and are searching for an identity. And they hope they have found it now with Magic Johnson running the team and potentially Lonzo Ball being the second overall pick coming late June. It's not their fault. It's not his fault. Fair. All fair. 
I mean, you run each, down each and every issue with every other respective NBA team. It's not his fault that LeBron James is as great as he is. But the decision that he needs to be held accountable for, just as we held LeBron James accountable for his decision at the time, when he left the Cleveland Cavaliers to go to the Miami Heat, and he decided to take, quote-unquote, the easy way out, and he did. LeBron was not up for the challenge anymore with Cleveland. LeBron was frustrated. He looked at the Miami Heat, as we do know now, as his college years. Correct? Correct. He needed to grow up, mature. There was still the draw to go back to Cleveland, to go back to his home state, to go back to that town, that city, and deliver the championship as the quote-unquote chosen one and bring a title back to the city of Cleveland, which he did a year ago. But he took the easy way out initially, and we were all critical. And anybody that goes out there and gets into the argument of LeBron and Michael, Michael LeBron, who's better, Michael never ran from the challenge. He embraced the challenge, right? He embraced the challenge of the Detroit Pistons. He embraced the challenge of the Jordan rules. He embraced all of that and decided not to go out there and run from it, not to team up with somebody else. And he had talent on his own team, and the likes of Scottie Pippen, who was a you know, top 50, top 75 player that ever played the sport. But he decided to stay there, get better, evolve, start to trust his teammates, become a better jump shooter, become a better defender, completely evolve and change his game and make his team better in the stead. And LeBron did it. He ran. And then he came back and handpicked and put his team together. And one guy already there in Kyrie Irving and wanted to make the deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves and bring Kevin Love aboard. And he did. And that all transpired and equated to a championship last year. But just as we are critical of LeBron at the time, you can be critical, even though he is not of the caliber of player of LeBron James, you can be critical of Kevin Durant. Because even though Oklahoma City is a one-trick prony with Russell Westbrook now and not much else, and we'll see where that organization does go. But I'll tell you, it's hard for any franchise when you have your hands and you're able to go out there and draft a, a Durant, a Westbrook, and a James Harden. And all, now all you're left with is the brilliant Russell Westbrook. And you have one guy that's an all-time great in Durant leave via free agency, and you decide to go out there and not pay James Harden and make one of the worst trades you'll see in recent NBA playoff history with the Houston Rockets and dealing a Harden, even though I don't love his complete and utter game, but you trade Harden, you do not get requisite, requisite talent back in return from the Houston Rockets. It's not a good trade, what they made with Oklahoma City. And it's hard to imagine that the Thunder are going to be able to get their hands on the talent and the caliber of player that they once had to go now pair along and go along with Russell Westbrook. Even with that being said, Durant's decision to leave Oklahoma City changed the complexion of the Western Conference because it changed Golden State. See, the Warrior team that gets set to play the Cleveland Cavaliers on June 1st is not the same Warriors team, lock, stock, and barrel. No team is completely the same year to year. There's going to be differentiation. There's going to be a little bit of change. Maybe it's the 10th, 11th, 12th guy. Maybe it's a couple of pro- whatever it might be. But the core group, right, it's not exactly the same. 
is there were key contributors that were there a year ago that are no longer there, like a Harrison Barnes. So it's not exactly the same group, but when he made that decision to leave Oklahoma City and it dropped the Thunderback, raised the Golden State Warriors up to a level that many believe that they cannot be touched by anybody in the West, which is predominantly deeper than the East, and they're clearly far superior than the Cavaliers, even though Kevin Durant is not at fault for every other issue, for every other team in the NBA, is not the reason why parity died in the NBA. You could still be critical of his decision because he took the easy way out. Now, he's free to do whatever the hell he wants to do. And I've had this discussion with people about LeBron James in the past and now Durant now locally on WFAN in New York or nationally here on CBS Sports Radio. Well, guys are able to go out there and do what they want to do. It's a free country. If he decides he wants to leave, if he's tired of Russell Westbrook's game and he wants to go to Oklahoma City and he wants to go to Golden State and leave Oklahoma City, so be it. He can't stop him. I'm not saying to stop him. The point that you have to make, though, is you have to understand you can't rationalize it out and say that he didn't take the easy way out. Instead of embracing the challenge of beating the Warriors, embracing the challenge of you know holding on to that 3-1 series lead and not only holding on to that lead but finishing the job against Golden State, he decided to join them. And that's where the complexion of the NBA changed. Because you can talk about quality of depth all you want. And Golden State doesn't have a lot of it. You know, the Zaza Pachulias, Javal McGee's, there is not great depth on Golden State. But what makes up for it is the super echelon, elite-level talent at the top. Thompson on any other team is a star. And he's a star on Golden State, but he's a guy that would probably average 27, 28 points per game. We know how good and how brilliant Steph Curry is. Draymond Green is a guy that I told everybody I love coming out of Michigan State, is a glue guy defender. If he's knocking down to the outside shot with everything else that he does for your team, he's a remarkable talent, and he's a winner. And then you get to Durant, who on his worst day is a top-four player in the sport. And then you look at the decision and the criticism that falls on Kevin Durant, and you can understand it. And no, he's not the reason that parity died in the NBA. There are other issues, and there are other organizations in the NBA that have no idea what the hell they are doing and make some of the worst NBA basketball decisions that you will ever see, and they are their own worst enemy. But what Durant did and the decision that he made change the complexion of the NBA for the foreseeable future. Because as I sit here on this Memorial Day weekend, right, on this Saturday, late May 2017, next year, as long as both team, two teams stay healthy, does anything change? Does anything change in the complexion of the NBA? If Gordon Hayward goes to Boston, does anything change? Are we all waiting yet another year for the fourth installment of the Cavaliers and Warriors. We are. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, when it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to help you choose the superstar battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices. 
every single day. 855-212-4CBS, your number to call. Let's head out to Manhattan. It's Cliff at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Cliff? Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You got it, Cliff. What's on your mind, buddy? I wanted to chime in and also get your take on how just pathetic the NBA product is right now. I mean, obviously the East is an actual uh, – it's a comical joke how thin and uh, shallow the East is. And as LeBron wants to play for 15 more years, it's going to be him versus Golden State. But even that, as bad as the East is, I mean, I think Golden State's going to win in four, maybe five. I mean, it's going to be so non-com – you know, com- competitive that it's just, I think it's a real poor, but I don't know why everyone's playing by the same rules. And my second question is to follow up to that. Um, after I get your take on that is why is everyone talking about Steph Curry? Like he's some great player. He's so one dimensional. You know, he's ranked 40th in the NBA in three point percentage. I mean, he takes a million shots. So he has a higher point per game, but he's 40th in the league in percentage. And they talk about him like he's some Larry bird esque sharpshooter. Thank you. Well, I think, uh, honestly, do you, tell me a better shooter uh, than Steph Curry that you've witnessed in the history of the NBA. And Cliff hangs up the phone. But tell me a guy. You know, I think he's a better shooter than Ray Allen. And Ray Allen has gone down as the and went down as the all-time three-point shooter. I think he's a better pure shooter than Reggie Miller. Um, those would be the guys that, you know, when you talk about specialists, he's a better outside shooter than Larry Bird. I think he is. Um, you could look at and draw upon one specific year. You could even point to Steph Curry defensively and say that, you know, Curry's got issues and he has, but embrace the brilliance. Honestly, I embrace a guy that worked his tail off. has got a lot of God given ability and the ability to go out there and hit the outside shot, but is not a six, seven, six, eight. You know, you know, 99 percentile athlete like LeBron James is. And I'm not taking, I'm not using that to knock James because he is a ridiculous, ridiculous athlete and an unbelievable basketball player. But he's also got a lot more to work with as compared to when you look at Steph Curry. And Curry, when he came out of college, people were curious about what he was going to be as an NBA player. Because you know what he did collegially and you know what he did in the NCAA tournament and you know that he's the son of Dell and Dell was a longtime NBA outside shooter and Curry was a guy that was unguardable at times in college and had ridiculous range but you said where does he fit right where does Curry fit because you know he doesn't have prototypical two guard size he's not six five six six he doesn't have the wingspan say when you compare him to say Markel Fultz who being a lead guard and overall will probably be the number one overall pick by the Boston Celtics come late June but the young man coming out of Washington is 6'5 he's got a 6'10 wingspan I mean he's not that kind of an athlete he doesn't have those kind of measurables so you looked at Steph Curry said well where does he fit he doesn't have prototypical two guard size and he doesn't have the handle to be a lead guard in the NBA so where exactly does he fit well you know what Steph Curry did was Steph Curry got over the ankle injuries that hurt him early on in his career, and he worked on his handle, and he got better. And you've seen it, just as you have seen, you know, Odell Beckham Jr.'s ridiculous one-handed catch routine pregame for the New York football giants. You see the dribbling routine of Steph Curry pregame for the Golden State Warriors. He worked and got himself better. And why he is able to connect to everyone out there is because you look at him and you say, well, you know, if he can do that, then I could do that. You know, and even though he's 6'3", you look at his ability to go out there and work and shoot, he is not this 
awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping athlete to you say, you know, that is something I can't go out there and accomplish. And I think that's why people are drawn to Steph Curry. So if you want to look at one specific year in which Curry put down his ego and welcomed aboard a top three, top four player in the entire sport in Kevin Durant and took a little bit of a back seat in order to help facilitate his team and everybody coming together, if you want to be critical of Steph Curry for that, then God bless you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how you can be critical of that, but if you want to be critical of that, so be it. And if you don't think that Steph Curry arguably is a top three shooter that this sport has ever seen, and I don't think I've ever seen a better pure shooter in the history of the NBA that I've ever witnessed. Now I'm 41 years of age, but that I have ever witnessed. Then I don't know what you're watching. Now you get to the overall quality of the product of the NBA. I've made the argument before, and you're preaching to the choir. I don't think the NBA product is particularly good. I don't. I When I look at the quality of the game, and there's a lot of factors that come into it, the rules that have been put in place, the inability to go out there and defend. You can no longer go out and be physical in the lane. You can't have the mantra of no layups defense. You're either going to get suspended or thrown out of the game. They've taken the physicality of the sport. You can't go out there. It's difficult to guard on the perimeter because everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger. However, with that being said, you can't go out there and use the arm bar like Derek Harper used to do, John Starks. I mean, Gary... You know, guys and defenders that used to go out and be able to play physical, intimidate, and use force, and not playing cheap and not playing dirty. It was just a tactic you were able to use at one point in time in the NBA, but the NBA was tired of it. They were tired of seeing 87-75 games. They were tired of seeing, you know, 20-point or 18-point quarters. They wanted to get the game more offensive and open things up, and they have to a degree now where – you get all offense, it's difficult to go out there and defend, and I don't think the player coming out of college is as evolved as an NBA player as they once were, and that's the truth. We can look at the one and done. We can look at the physical measurables of athletes now in 2017 as compared to 2002, 1995, 1989, and it is a night and day difference. But if you want to look at the overall quality of the player, the evolution of the player, where they are dribbling, shooting, everything that goes into being a complete NBA player. And you want to say that guys now, after one year of college, are just as evolved as guys that have played three or four years in college, then you're fooling yourself. Because that's just not true. It's just not true. And then it becomes when you get to the NBA player, it's up to the individual to evolve. Because the NBA is about wins and losses. Ultimately, you're judged on a night-in, night-out basis, 81 dates, um, 82 dates of the, over the course of the regular season, then the NBA playoffs. You don't win, you go home. You don't get better as a player, you go home. But it's up to the individual because NBA coaches don't have time to go out there and go through the instruction you can get in college. So if you don't take it on yourself, like guys like Curry have, the greats of the game continue to get better. Curry did Jordan did, LeBron does, Durant, Westbrook, Harden. I mean, they they continue to add stuff to their game as their careers do go along. But they do that individually. They work. 
They put the extra time in. But if you're not willing to do that and you're not a motivated player, you're going to fade away into non-existence. And you're going to be one of those guys, oh, remember him? Let's head out to Jersey. It's Ben. What's going on, Ben? Hey, what's up, man? What's going on? Uh, first of all, I want to just talk about the finals. I disagree with you. I like the way the game is now. I like the openness. I like the um-tempo. I like the the run-and-gun type style as opposed to the defensive grind it out, which is benefits to less skilled guys who really don't really have an all-around game, and they have to really just you know hold on and chug guys. To, to, to keep them from, you know, getting to the basket or, you know, pick and pop and rolling to the back basket. Um, what, another point I want to talk about is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I think there are a couple emerging teams now here. I think Boston, Danny Ainge is going to go ahead and load up. I think the Wizards are a team to look out for next year. Uh, also, Milwaukee is a young, up-and-coming, exciting team. When they're going to get Jabari Parker back to go along with the Greek freak. You saw they can Jabari do. Jabari Parker's had the- two torn ACLs. True, but I think they're they're making moves there. Jason Kidd, I think, is showing himself to be a hell of a coach, and that owner, that new owner, there is going to is, is committed to getting free agents. Well, the Greek freak the is great. I, I have a hard time. Kidd and great coach, I have a hard time putting in the same sentence. And uh, Milwaukee's got a ways to go. You want to talk about improving? True. It's one thing to say the team's improving. We're talking about championship caliber. True, but I, I do think Milwaukee's I think, not I think challenging Wizards, LeBron. Neither is Washington a year from now, and Boston has got a ways to go. And also in the West, I think I think injuries were a big far factor in why the Spurs were hurt. I think Houston's going to upgrade. I think Utah is going to upgrade. So I think if you think about it, Golden State, you know, they were able to get Durant because of the the, the pay scale. They were able to get uh, Curry on a bargain that comes to an end this year, and then they got to pay Durant. I don't think they're going to be able to keep their core together. They're probably only going to keep Curry and Durant because there's no way they can pay Draymond and Clay Thompson after next year because they're going to have to max them out too. They're not going to be economically feasible doing on their cap. Well, they've got Clay, but they've got Thompson for two more years. No, but he can opt. He's got an opt-out clause, though, so he, he's probably going to exercise that because he can go anywhere and get a max deal in there. Well, he could, he, or he could decide to he, stay in Golden State and win he's and still get paid a, a boatload of money. And you see, but he's underutilized, and he's going to have to take a lot less money. You see, he's kind of like the third option. He goes out in the open market. Somebody's yeah, going to sure. Money well, it'll be, it will be what Green. the motivating factor is, but we're still looking at a year from now. So next year, the same storyline that rang true this year no, I do think, rings no, I do true think next Houston's year. Houston's going to reload. I like Houston. I think Houston's Houston Houston plays no defense. On them. No defense. And uh, last point, I do think Cleveland has a great chance to win it. Um Obviously, on paper, Golden State has the better team, but I think the way with Kyrie is playing, he's electrifying. He can get to the bucket. He can. He, they have nobody in Golden State who can guard him. Also, well, I think Kevin Love true. and Tristan Thompson give him a lot of trouble. So I do think Cleveland could win the series. Yeah, so. I don't see it. I mean, anything's possible. I just don't see it, uh, Ben. I don't because I, I don't see. Tell me the t- guy that's going to handle Kevin Durant and Curry and Thompson and handle everybody. What Golden State can go out there and do, and Golden State's a better defensive team than the Cleveland Cavaliers. They just are. They're a better defensive team. You see lapses when you look at the Cleveland Cavaliers defensively, and if they have lapses against Golden State, they will get trucked by the Warriors. And the Warriors, even though they are not the same group, Green, Thompson, and Curry, three of the four have been waiting their entire year to get to this point to get another shot of LeBron and the Cavaliers. And that would be the thing that I would fear if I was the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
Let's get to a little wake-up call. All right, May 27-91, Chicago Bulls defeat the Detroit Pistons in the postseason, winning Game 4, 115-94, advancing to the NBA Finals. For three straight years, the Bulls had gone out in the playoffs to those same bad boys who were always able to impede them and their patented Jordan Rules defense, but the Pistons were getting older and the Bulls were getting better. The Bulls had won a franchise-high 61 games that year, while the Pistons had just won 50, their lowest total in five years. We wanted to play Detroit in the conference finals because we wanted to beat their kind of basketball, said MJ. We felt it was time for the NBA to move on to another style of basketball, said Bills, uh, said Bulls head coach Phil Jackson, referring to the Pistons' aggressive method of intimidation. We're a lot like L.A., and that's good for basketball to watch. The Bulls' sweep of their arch rival signaled the beginning of their championship dynasty and the end of the Detroit Pistons' As a legit contender, the Pistons didn't take it well. And one of the most egregious examples of bad sportsmanship, the entire team simply walked off the court without shaking hands with anyone. As time was still on the clock, the final 7.9 seconds were played with only one team on the floor. May 27th, 1991, Bulls defeating the Pistons. Game four to advance to the NBA Finals. We're rolling right along. Mark Melusis, Flying Solo, Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, hour number two. Mark Melusis, Flying Solo here on this holiday weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend. The unofficial start. Uh, well, the official, I guess, start to summer. Uh, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Anthony and Ryan across the way. Marco with your updates coming up later on this hour. Former Mets GM, you hear him on uh, MLB radio right now. And, uh, well, not exactly right now, but over the course of the week, does a great job. Steve Phillips uh, will join us coming up in uh, about 35 minutes from now. So looking forward to that as uh, we kick off hour number two. Let's head out to Illinois. It's Ray at CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Ray? Hey, Mark. Good morning and happy weekend. Happy weekend, Ray. Yes, happy weekend, buddy. I, I find your perspectives on the league uh, varied and intriguing. And if I can zip through three things quickly. Sure. Everything you say about the NBA product, the game product itself, being diminished, I think, is unassailable. But I think what you also have to realize the two critical concerns within the league office right now, uh, on a night-to-night basis, it's game presentation. And I mean all the peripheries, peripherals, when you go to a game, to make the experience entertaining. If you're the father who spends 200 bucks to take your wife and two kids to a game, you are entertained even if it's Brooklyn, Philadelphia. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, I, I yes, I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. Yes. Number two, I think their secondary concern is globalization. And this is one reason why a Golden State Cleveland trilogy is magnificent for the league because these are names that are familiar from, from Moscow to Sydney, etc. The world will be watching the finals once again this year. Yeah, I don't dis- I don't disagree with that. I mean, if if you want to tell me that this is the matchup the NBA wanted, of course it is. But it does not mean that the NBA playoffs overall have to be as bad as they were because they were putrid. They were putrid, and here's another concern: when you have a team go twelve and zero and eleven and oh, or twelve and one and right. twelve and zero, right? 
you're denying your TV partners a significant amount of product. There have been rumors, there has been talk in the league office about extending the playoffs down to the 10th team, having three-game series playing 7-10. to 10. Yeah, I don't need to see that. I, I don't need to see more bad basketball teams making the playoffs. <laughs> from, Mark, from a quality standpoint, I agree with you 100%. But if you're Adam Silver and you need to guarantee more TV product, isn't that a possibility? Yeah, but I, I, I get it. Um, I, I, I understand. I mean, anything's a possibility. I mean, listen, they've got t- you got TV partners that pay $24 billion for a nine-year contract, right? So what they got here in the postseason, even though the ratings were good, they didn't get enough of it, right? And what they got of, a lot of people were turning off at halftime and finding something else to go out there and watch. And I get, listen, it is a sign of the times, right? It's not just the NBA. You go across Major League Baseball to a lesser extent, the National Hockey League. Uh, the National Football League has got an issue uh, with uh, the in-game product of people at the stadium. Uh, but I, I think that has to do with more about the drinking and the behavior, boorish behavior of some of their fans at home games, uh, more so than anything else. But if you want to draw the comparison when you look at NBA and Major League Baseball, and specifically when you, you look at the NBA, of course, they're trying to make it uh, an entertaining product regardless of what you're watching on the court. I mean, hell, the Knicks go out there and sell games out, and they are an embarrassment of a team, right? But they sell games out, and you go to Madison Square Garden, and you get the Knicks City Dancers, and you can go up on the two chase bridges, and you can see Woody Allen or Spike Lee sitting in the first row, and you feel like you are at a star-driven event, even though the product on the court is awful. So, yes, I mean, I I get it, but I'm looking at it as a perspective of I look at the evolution of the game. I don't think the game is as good as it was 20 years ago. I don't think the product, I don't think the overall quality of team play in 2017 – is the same as it was in 1995. I just don't. I hate to say this because I'm going to sound like a dinosaur. I don't think 1995 was like 1975. I grew up, obviously, with the Chicago Bulls. Right. And I'm talking growing up with Jerry Sloan, Norm Van Leer, Chet Walker, Bob Love. These were knock-you-on-your-behind teams. Right. These were teams, every, and they won 50 games every year, and they could never get by the Lakers. And when they finally did... They couldn't get by the Warriors, and that was the end of that era. And then Chicago was an absolute NBA desert until the miracle moment in 84 when when his royalty arrived. Can I switch to something else more yeah. current? You mentioned Houston before, and you talked about what a poor defensive team Houston was. And I, I just want you to consider this point. I think Mike D'Antoni is the coach of the year, the reason being he gets James Harden uh, incredible offensive player, but like Carmelo, kind of a dog at the defensive end. But uh, unlike Carmelo, who is just, he can't help himself. Carmelo can't play defense. He just can't do it. James Harden can if you can get him to buy in. And I think in Houston this year, they had Jeff Bizdelic as their lead defensive uh, assistant. He was finalist with Ron Adams for the, the number two job at Golden State, and Steve Kerr took Adams, who had been with the Bulls. What they coaxed out of James Harden defensively this year was the miracle in Houston. They couldn't have gotten more out of that fella because he's just he's not committed to it. They had to tell him, you're our brand. 
We live and die. Well, yeah, they had a, yeah, they had a kid. I, I get, I, I just don't look at, the Rockets are not a good defensive team. I nope. mean, and and I you could look at, yes, whatever they could get out of Harden defensively. And I'm not a fan of James Harden's game. So I'm with uh, you. you're preaching the choir. I think it's all offense, no defense. And, you know, the fear of the beard and going to the foul line. I think he's a wonderful offensive player. Uh, I think Houston's, and I saw D'Antoni up close here in New York. And I think he's a one-trick pony where it's all about the offense. And he's got a good offensive mind, the inability to go out there and adjust. See, I look at great coaches, Ray. I look at coaches that go out there and don't just necessarily have a one style. I think they can adjust to the talent level of their team. I saw Pat Riley adjust in New York. He didn't have the Showtime Lakers with the Knicks, and he adjusted his style. I saw Jeff Van Gundy adjust. I've seen Popovich adjust. I've seen you know I, I've seen great coaches over the years go out there and adjust. I don't look at Mike D'Antoni as being that great coach. Now he might be NBA Coach of the Year because the Rockets were a wonderful story. And he might have been able to coach and coax anything he could defensively out of James Harden. I just don't look at Mike D'Antoni as a great coach. My last point. I think Cleveland, and I think Kevin Love is going to be the finals MVP for a number of reasons. And I think Cleveland could sweep, and Cleveland will win in no more than six games. All right. Well, we'll, I'd be stunned if it's a sweep, honestly. Uh, Ray, if uh, you could drive here from Illinois, we're doing the stu- we're doing the uh, uh, we're doing the show here in New York City, downtown Lower Manhattan, right? So uh, you're welcome to come in studio uh, if the Cavaliers go out there and sweep the Golden State Warriors. I'll tell you that we'll give you an hour. I'll step out, I'll go take a walk, you can do the show with Maggie for an hour. Uh, that's not happening. I mean, I love you, Ray, and thanks a lot for the call. But the the Golden State Warriors are not going to get swept. Now, if you like the Cavaliers, then you know, you're getting two for one for your money. They're a minus, you know, the, the Cavaliers are, uh, you go out there and you bet 100, you're getting 200 back. So um, you'll be able to make some cash on it if you like the Cavaliers. And you would get unbelievable odds if you found somebody, and I'm sure you can find somebody locally out there in Illinois, uh, to put down a couple dollars and have the Cavaliers go out there and sweep the Golden State Warriors. I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned. I really would be. I hope it's a great finals. Here's the fear. The fear when you look at the matchup between the two teams is what I mentioned closing out hour number one is the motivation for Golden State waiting to get back to this vantage point. Right? The motivation for Golden State getting back to this. This is what they wanted. This is what drove Curry, what drove Thompson, what drove Green, throughout the course of the summer, the fall, the winter, into the early spring, into now, is this opportunity. What they had a year ago after the unbelievable regular season, setting the all-time wins mark, dominance in the regular season, and then to blow a three games to one lead to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and not being able to live that down. Now, there are... Other factors. I mean, I'm banking on Draymond Green keeping himself on the straight and narrow. I'm banking on Draymond Green not going out there and getting himself into trouble and not getting suspended in the game. Not kicking some guy in the groin. That's what I'm banking on in these NBA finals. And if we don't get, if Green is not taken off the court, I have a hard time seeing Golden State losing this series. I really do. 
there's a path for Cleveland. I'm not going to deny that there's not a path. And it's hard to say, well, LeBron James doesn't have a chance. He's got a chance in any series that he goes up against because he has the ability to be a game wrecker, game changer. He's the best player in the world. So he's got a chance. But there are more avenues and paths for the Golden State Warriors through this series than there are for the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's the way I look at it. Tell me who's going to slow down. You can go out there and you're Cleveland. And last year specifically, you could bum rush the three-point line. And you could take away those looks from Curry. And you could take away those looks from Klay Thompson. But then how are you going to deal with when you do that and you're protecting the outside and you're guarding the perimeter, how are you going to deal with Durant down low? Who anytime he wants, regardless of defender, at seven feet tall, can get that 11, 12-foot bunny and that easy jumper that he can knock down all night long, that same jumper that you saw the Houston Rockets refusing to take against San Antonio. What are you going to do then? And then when you try and take away that, then all of a sudden the look from the outside from Thompson and Curry open up. That's just one aspect of it, but it's a pretty important one. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Why there's more pressure on Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals. Is there? On KD, more so than LeBron, and with LeBron's legacy, we'll chat about that. Your calls as well. Mark Malusis with you, flying solo. It is the Moose and Maggie Show, Saturday morning, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, uh, yes, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mark Malusis as well, or at Moose and Maggie, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Let's head out to Jackson, New Jersey. It's Nithin at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, hey. Nithin? Hey, Mark, how you doing, man? So, uh, flying solo today, huh? Yes, flying solo, brother. How are you? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm good. Um, I'm just heading to the gym, but first I want to talk about the uh, NBA Finals. I can't wait for it. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of weird because – we're gonna have no basketball until Thursday, so I, I like. I mean, the Stanley Cup Finals start before. Why cannot? Why can't Adam Silver change the rules and make they they can play on Monday, right? Don't they? Or they should? The NBA Finals. Well, yeah. Well, it was set up June first. I mean, they could play Monday night, but I mean, you got the Stanley Cup Finals getting going. I mean, they, it was established that that's when the finals were gonna start, regardless. So yeah, that's the way uh, they want to do so, it. But, I mean, um, I think it's going to be an interesting series now because with Kevin Durant in the mix, uh, I think it's going to be more compelling. And I think the ratings, this will be the most ratings from last year's finals and the year before. So I feel like uh, this year's finals is going to be a lot lot of entertaining uh, games and uh, close games too. And I think I'm picking the Cavs in six uh, because they're going to finish off at home with LeBron James getting his fourth ring. And I think it's going to be he's going to be up there in the MJ conversation soon. So, well, why, why the biggest reason is because of James? Is that the biggest reason? You like the Cavs? No, I like the Cavs because of Kyrie. He's playing good. Of and, and then um, I think the weakness point of the Warriors is the bench. The Cavaliers have a stronger bench than the Warriors do. So, well, I agree with you there. Uh, is today a cardio day or weight day at the gym, Nathan? Uh, today's weight and cardio day, both. Really? Chest or buys? What are you working on? Uh, today, uh, I'm going to do uh, triceps, uh, triceps, arms, and then like the the usual bike, treadmill, and then probably like the elliptical. 
Wow. You shower at the gym as well? What is this, like a three-hour uh, no, affair? I, I go home. I go home after. <laughs> gotcha. Well, have a good workout, all right, Nathan? Yeah, thank you, man. Yep. All right, hit it hard. Um, and have a good workout, and we'll keep you entertained here for the next two and a half hours. But, um, listen, I, I understand you going out there and, and liking LeBron James. I'm not going to go out there and tell you you're absolutely crazy because we saw what James was able to do last year coming back from three games to one down. Um, and it is uh, – and he had the helps of – of Irving and love and love played his tail off in that series as well. Irving with the big shot and the big shots throughout the course of it. And he was the secondary running mate for James, but James setting the tone um, and you love the message. And, and that's where you buy into like the lore of sports and you know, the message he delivered his team. You know, you get me home for a game six, I'll get you back here for a game seven. Um, you know, it, uh, it's, it, those are the fun things, and you like those messages. But I, I'll, I'll tell you, when you look at this, and Nathan brought up the talking point of the legacy of LeBron, and we've got into this almost daily conversation in taking of the temperature of where James falls historically as compared to Michael Jordan, right? Is he the greatest player ever? Who's better? Michael did this. LeBron does this. Look at this one statistically breaking out, Michael never did this. LeBron never did that. So you've heard all the arguments and the discussions throughout the course of these NBA playoffs because you've not had the opportunity to go out there and, and talk about the games. So what you've chatted about, what you've talked about is the historical ramifications of what LeBron James has been able to go out there and do with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's remarkable. For my money, I've said it before, I don't think he's the greatest player ever. I think Michael Jordan is. But I'm not going to go out there and talk you off the ledge or scream and holler at you and tell you you're insane if you think LeBron James is. It is what it is, right? We can go around and around in circles. But when you look at pressure, right, and you look at this, this scenario here of who's got more pressure going into the NBA Finals. We talked about Durant and his comments about parity earlier on, right, saying don't blame me, right? Don't blame me for the ridiculous trade Brooklyn made. Don't blame me for how bad the Eastern Conference is. Don't blame me for the injuries. Don't blame me for the overall complexion and the lack of competitive balance in the NBA. Now, with that being said, and it's a fair point, he did change the Western Conference with this decision, which we touched upon earlier, of going from Oklahoma City to Golden State. But with that being said... Going into these NBA Finals, I will say this. There is more pressure on Durant than there is LeBron James. There's more pressure on Durant than LeBron James. Just as you go to year one, LeBron, Miami, Dallas Mavericks, there was more pressure on LeBron James in that series than there was any of his teammates, Dwayne Wade included. Because LeBron made that decision to leave Cleveland and go to Miami to win championships. Now, Kevin Durant made a similar decision to leave Oklahoma City, can't beat him, join him, and decided to pair up or, you know, quad up with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green out in Golden State to win an NBA championship. I'm not going to make the argument this Saturday morning, and I've seen others go out there and do it and say, well, LeBron's resume, his place in NBA history is cemented. There's nothing more for him to do. That's silly. That's stupid. That's trying to take the pressure off 
he goes into these NBA finals with going in as the underdog and a pretty decided underdog for the world's greatest player against the Golden State Warriors. But he goes into there an underdog nonetheless. But to go out and say he's got nothing more to prove when his game is evolving and everybody's saying that LeBron James in 2017 is the better than is better than the LeBron James that we saw in 2015, 14, 13. That his game has gotten better. And he even admitted last summer, after he brings the championship along with his teammates to the city of Cleveland, that he's chasing the ghost. And the ghost that he's chased in is Michael Jordan. So don't tell me now that he's got nothing more to prove. Of course he does. If he wants to, without a shadow of a doubt, be hailed as the greatest player ever, then he's got to add this championship to his resume and go out there and beat the Golden State Warriors and beat Durant and beat Draymond Green and beat Steph Curry and beat Klay Thompson and bring a second championship to the city of Cleveland. Then we can start to, for my money, have the discussion. So there is pressure on LeBron. Now, with that being said, and the underdog that he goes into and carries this team into the NBA Finals, more pressure's on Durant because of the decision he made. See, Durant didn't go to Golden State to raise his Q rating. Durant did not go out to Golden State to, you know, have a little bit more fun playing basketball. And that came along with the territory. Kevin Durant was frustrated in Oklahoma City, frustrated with where his game was, frustrated about how his game was not evolving, and frustrated and likely playing with Russell Westbrook. And that's been reported all over the place. But put that aside, he ultimately made that decision to go to Golden State to win a championship. And not just one, multiple. So he makes that decision, and he goes into these NBA Finals, and just as... Curry, Thompson, and Green have waited a year to get back to this point to enact a little bit of revenge on the Cavs and the Warriors for something that they believe was taken from them and another NBA championship and give all the credit for Cleveland a year ago. But they want to enact a little bit of revenge. Kevin Durant goes into these NBA finals with more pressure on him than anybody else, even with the Warriors and those three guys and those three stars lost a year ago, blowing a three games to one lead. Because they've already won their NBA title. Kevin Durant hasn't. So he's looking to go out there and add to his resume. Win that title. And he made the decision to leave Oklahoma City and go to Golden State. And the ultimate deciding factor was winning. And not making the playoffs, not having a 50-plus win season, 55, 60, 65, 68 win season. It's a matter of winning a championship. And if they should fall short in these NBA Finals, you're not going to look to Curry. You're not going to look to Thompson. You're not going to look to Green. You're not going to look to Mike Brown or Steve Kerr, whoever's on the bench. Zaza Pachulia, you're going to look to Kevin Durant. Ultimately, you're going to look to Durant if they should fall in these Finals. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, is your car ready for summer road trips from changing your oil and filter and topping off fluids to inspecting your car's braking system? O'Reilly Auto Parts has the parts and accessories at guaranteed low prices to get you on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices. 
every single day. It's been too long since I talked to this gentleman, uh, and that is Steve Phillips, former uh, general manager with the Mets, uh, currently does a fantastic job, MLB Radio uh, host over there. Hey, Steve, what's going on, man? It's been too long, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be with you again. Yeah, you got it, Steve. And uh, when you look at this and you and you take uh, you know stock Memorial Day, you know sitting in that front office, is this one of the markers when you look at the MLB regular season? You look at Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, I think it is. You know, I think you get to this point where you know teams are, I think, at a, where where they're pretty much defining themselves that that, you know, you're not a hot team anymore, you're a good team. You know, you're not a cold team anymore, you're a bad team. Uh, and, you know, somewhere in between for, for others. But I think that, that, you know, you've got to start to look at where you are, what you are, uh, and what are the prospects for your team moving forward over the next uh, month or so. Because once you get to July, I think it's, it's pretty much, you know, you're either you're in, you're out, or you're a little bit on the bubble. But you're pretty clear at that point what you are. And I think uh, this next month absolutely critical for most teams as they further define where they're going. All right, uh, Steve, let's, let's talk about one, uh, your former team, and that is the Mets. Um, what do you make of this team? Certainly pressure on Collins. Uh, there have been stories written about that. Uh, team has not been healthy. There's been underperformance. They're sitting here six games under 500. DeGrom was great last night in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. Cespedes is on the mend. What do you make about where Sandy's sitting with this team, the expectations coming into the year, and your thoughts about the prospects of this team, where they are right now moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think that, that it's really hard to evaluate a team that's had as many injuries as the Mets have. The Blue Jays have been a team <clears throat> a little bit like that, too. The Mariners are a team like that, too. And the, and the problem is nobody feels sorry for you, right? You know, when you're when you're playing the competition, there's nobody out there going to feel sorry for you that that you've had injuries, and you just have to try to you know step up with the depth that you have in the organization, have the players who are playing give you a little bit more than maybe what was fair to expect. And I think for the Mets, you know, they're they're in a spot where how many teams are going to be able to to, to challenge in their division when they lose their middle of the lineup big bat like Cespedes. Uh, when you start to look around, they lost Duda for a while, Darno for a while, uh, and you know you've you've lost Syndergaard, you've, you you don't have Matt, you you've you know you've lost Lugo. They they've had so many different issues there. They've lost Familia. I mean, you take out your number three four hitter, you take out your ace, you take out your closer, and then you take out some complementary players in between. It's really tough to compete. Very you tough. do that. Not not many teams can, and so I, you know, the idea that Terry Collins that what the Mets have is a managerial problem is ridiculous. Agreed. I don't I don't see that at all. I think he's the glue that holds the mess together most of the time. When things have gone badly, Terry Collins has challenged. He's pushed. He's hugged. He's done whatever he's needed to do to try to get guys back on track again. I of all the problems the Mets have. Their manager is the least of their problems for me. I, I don't even see it as being an issue, uh, but it comes up all the time. Maybe it's New York. Maybe it's uh, you know just the nature of, of of you know Terry you know not being you know that sort of high sort of level pedigree manager that people think. Well, it's got to be a managerial issue. Uh, you know, the, it's the injuries are an issue, and and you know until they get back and they get healthy, they don't know who they are. And by then, it's probably going to be too late. 
staying in New York, how stunned or how surprised, Steve, are you about how, what the Yankees have been able to do and how big of a star Judge has become? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty surprised. You know, I, I, you know, the Yankees came in with all kinds of question marks, you know, with, the, with their rotation. They came in, and like Judge was a huge question mark. I struck out 42 times in 84 bats last year. Players who do that don't usually do this, right? They don't make that turnaround and no. hit 322 going into, you know, into the month of June. It's just it's it's not the sort of common turnaround. But he's an un- uncommon young man. There's no question about that. And an impressive guy. I mean, I, you know, I've interviewed him the last two spring trainings, and you know, for a six foot seven guy, you know, he he seemed timid, right? He seemed he seemed six four, like he seemed shorter. Now he stands up. He bowls his neck. He looks you in the eye when he answers questions, and he's not this timid, uncertain kid anymore. He's gained his confidence, and that's a major factor for him, more so than a lot of guys. That that you know, he does sway in that sort of confidence factor. You know, I I, I want to see what happens when he goes into a slump. You know, will he be able to make the adjustment to get out of it? Will it be something that will be long longer lasting than some others because that confidence factor for him? But he's an amazing kid. He's an amazing talent. Uh, you know, all, all he has to do is touch the ball, right, when he's hitting because he's so big and strong. Uh, so the Yankees have been a great story. And, and you know, the evil empire, uh, you know, we're a team that the Yankees were always a team that, that you know, we love to hate. Now we kind of hate it that we love them because they are a pretty lovable team. I mean, they, they've got some real nice personalities. Uh, there's no big egos. There's no big money. I mean, they've got some still in there a bit, but it does, they don't come across that way. And they're a really fun team to watch play. Steve, if you were running, if you were Cashman here, and you've got a ways to go before July 31st, but the names Quintana, Cole, uh, you know, are, are you gonna are, are you looking at this team as that kind of a caliber of team where they can go out there and compete for a championship right now? Well, I, you know, here's the thing. I don't love their starting pitching, but, you know, I love the Tanaka that pitched yesterday. Yes. I love the Severino that pitched the day before. Uh, and you know, it's, it's in there the, the question is, can they, they muster it up for some level of consistency and can they do it in October when they're at their most fatigue point in the season? So, yeah, I, I think that, that I fully expect, uh, that if the Yankees stay at or near the top of this division, that Brian Cashman's adding and that he will add a frontline pitcher <clears throat> that he can control for a couple of years, right? That, that factors in this year but also factors in next year when they might be even more ready to compete. So, yeah, I, I think that, that the timing is – I mean, listen, what Cashman has done, it, you know, is something that, that I wasn't sure could be done. And that idea of rebuilding and winning at the same time, it's a really tough thing to do. Now, I think you need more financial flexibility to be able to do it, which the Yankees have. But even with that, he's done a phenomenal job. Of, of putting this team back on the map. Their young players are the right guys. They've done a great development job of holding players accountable. So then when they get to the big leagues, Girardi only has to worry about them playing ball and not worry about them, you know, after hours. Uh, and so, you know, it's a pretty, pretty special thing what's going on in the Bronx right now. Mark Melus is flying solo here on this Saturday morning, being joined by Steve Phillips, former Mets general manager. Check him out on MLB network radio does a great job. Steve, Let's a uh, couple other themes. Number one, Washington, right? Harper's been fantastic. We know how good Scherzer is, that rotation, and Dusty's pushing him early. My question is the bullpen. Even though Glover throws hard, um, you know, I don't necessarily trust him. What about the Nats? They're going to have to add a, you know, a big bullpen arm at some point, correct? 
Yeah, I, I think so, too. They're, they're not going to have to do it to win the division. They're going to win the division. But to win those games in October, I think they're going to need more predictability at the back end. I mean, look, can they do it with the guys they have? I mean, I, yeah, they can. But I wouldn't. I would sure hate to have everything in order, starting pitching, offense, defense. You've got balance in every way, and then get to the ninth inning of a playoff game and be, you know, multiple times in the playoffs lose and have that be the piece that you didn't put the finishing touch on the team. So I think they're going to have to make a move. Problem is, there's no Chapman, there's no Miller, uh, there's no sort of Melanson out there. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to be looking at the David Robertsons. They're going to be looking at the Jesus Colomays, uh, Calvin Herrera. You know, and they're okay. Uh, they're all okay. I mean, Bud Norris, I, I mean, that's a shocker to me. But, uh, you know, they're all okay. But they're not that elite-level guy that's available. But, you know, they may have to get somebody with some level of pedigree just to give them some comfort level. And if, even if that guy struggles, then a Glover can come in and protect them. But I think going Kelly or Trinan or Glover into the postseason, uh, they're setting themselves up for failure. Let's go to Chicago, the Cubs. Steve, I, I'm su- I'm surprised, and it's the right move by Madden. I mean, because he ha- he just has not hit. Uh, but are you surprised by uh, by Schwarber and how he has struggled offensively this year? Yeah, a little bit. But you know, I mean, he's young, and uh, you know he you know he's he made us believe some things that 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 he would be all world uh because he did something last year in the postseason that just can't be done like who goes out to the arizona fall league sits all year gets eight at bats comes back in and looks like he's been you know seeing pitches all season long so we just assumed wow he's going to be able to do that but that's not baseball right i mean you know you start you, you start to, to things don't start well and then you start to get into your own head a little bit and you have to make some adjustments and and so He's going through what young guys have to go through. I think the other thing is just because of how he looks, you know, we kind of like the pudgy guy a little bit, you know. And so I think there's a part of us that that kind of like just, you know, the the you know he was a huggable, lovable sort of a guy. Right. But but you know he's he's got him. He, he, you know he's not a finished product. Uh, you know, going out to the outfield and, and playing regularly, you know, it's not comfortable, which may mean that he's not comfortable going to the plate. He will get on track. He will be a good player. Uh, but, you know, he's human. And uh, like a lot of these young guys, you know, they have to have some level of failure before they figure out success. You know, when you look at overall in Major League Baseball, Steve, as, we, as we're sitting here Memorial Day weekend, which team that has played well up to this point are you buying? And which team as that has played well up until this point would you sell on? Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't. Uh, I mean, I think the Astros are for real. I, I think they're going to need to add a starting pitcher. Uh, you know, I don't. Beyond McCullers and Keuchel, and Keuchel's back on the mound today after his little bit of a an issue there with the the neck inflammation, the nerve in his neck. Uh, he'll pitch again today. But McCullers and Keuchel, I love. The rest of that rotation is okay. The Musgrove kid pitched really well yesterday, but I'm just I'm not convinced. So they're going to need that third sort of guy, whether that's going to be Sonny Gray or Cole or, you know, Quintana. They're in on whoever that starting pitch is going to be as well. Uh, and if they get that guy, they have balance. They can play some defense. Uh, they're an interesting team, right? They've got, they can manufacture runs. They can hit on the ballpark. So I, I'm, I'm believing in the Astros. It, I'll, I like them a lot more, though, if they had another starting pitcher. I'm not buying the Twins. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great story. Uh, they're, they're pitching better. 
Their defense is absolutely unbelievable. This is a team that had like 127 errors last year, by far the most in baseball. They've made 15 so far this year. They're on pace for 60. That dramatic turnaround has made such a difference for them. Uh, with many of the same players, you know, they've tightened up at shortstop a bit in some ways, and and uh, but that is that part of it has been a major turnaround for them. And they're a fun offensive team, but I just don't see them having the kind of pitching to be able to compete over the course of the season. And so I, I think at some point that'll fall off, and Irvin Santana will be a guy who will become available uh, out there. I do like Arizona, and I do like Colorado. Um, you know, those young kids in the rotation in Colorado. It doesn't matter that we don't believe in them. They believe in themselves. They're a tough team, a deep bullpen. They can score runs. They play defense. Uh, and that's kind of the same thing with Arizona. You know, Arizona, you know, maybe last year they were better than what we thought. Granky being Granky again has made a huge difference for them as it's now made Robbie Ray a nice number two, and, and they've kind of pieced some guys together. They've got to be in the market for a closer, too. I get Rodney's doing, you know, he's logging saves. But, you know, he's walking the tightrope right now, and I think they may need to upgrade before the season's over. You know, final one for you, Steve, and that is the Indians sitting here two games over the 500 mark in that division with the Twins. What about Cleveland? You know, bringing the big piece in the offseason, falls short in the World Series. How about the Indians here moving forward? Yeah, I think they're going to be okay. That's, you know, partly why, you know, I think that Minnesota can be in trouble is that you you look at the Cubs and the Indians, and they both have kind of, you know, it's taken them a little time to get some traction but they will. They'll get it. And uh, I think Kluber coming back into the rotation for Cleveland will be important. Uh, Incarnacion will start to heat up a bit. Brantley will, I think, uh, get, you know, he's worked his way back in, but he'll pick it up some. That energy will come back for both of those teams as they kind of get into it a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not too worried about, uh, you know, both either the Cubs or the Indians. I think they'll both be postseason teams. Uh, and get it going a bit again. Now, the most important question, it's a holiday weekend, Steve, right? So, barbecue yeah. today, are you going hamburger or hot dog, or this weekend? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, I, I'm actually the guy that does both. Like, really? I, I, I won't, yeah, go. I need one of each. Yeah, I, nice. I definitely will go both. And, and uh, some baked beans, corn of the cob, uh, you know, all of the, the <laughs> typical sort of barbecue fixings, I'm in. There you go. Steve Phillips, former Mets GM. Uh, check him out, MLB Radio. Does a fantastic job. Hey, Steve, I appreciate it uh, getting up early this morning. Have yourself a, a great holiday weekend. All right, bud, and we'll do it again soon. Okay, Moose, you got it, buddy. You got it. And he does a fantastic job. He really does. And I'm with him. I mean, who doesn't want a hamburger and a hot dog when you go to a barbecue? You can't just have one or the other. You got to have the full plate. Load up. Pierno's going to some basically food truck this afternoon. I asked him, we could have a beer? And he said, no, I'm just eating all day. I'm like, that's a hell of a Saturday. Two down, two to play with. Malusis with you. We'll talk about some of the NFL rule changes. We'll do that next. CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, it is the Moose and Maggie Show. Maggie off from this holiday weekend. Mark Malusis, a flying solo. You got Anthony Ryan across the way. Belletti with your updates. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. A lot of NBA, first couple hours, a little uh, Major League Baseball as we just chatted with Steve Phillips, uh, former Mets general manager. Check him out on MLB Radio. Does a fantastic job there. We kick off hour number three, talk a little bit about the National Football League and a couple themes. Number one, you know, I just don't care if players go to OTAs. I, I really don't. 
And I get for the NFL team that there is an importance. I understand that now in the calendar year and based on the new CBA and the collective bargaining agreement, there's only so much that you can go out there and work with a said player or players. Uh, there's only so much time in the calendar year that you can go out there and work. I get that. I mean, that is, I mean, that is fantastic. I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. I, I understand the frustration. I understand that guys and coaches and McAdoo with Odell Beckham Jr. and McAdoo with Olivier Vernon, and those aren't the only two veterans across the National Football League that are missing OTAs, but, and those happen to be with the New York Football Giants, but I get it. I understand it. And I get the frustration level. With that being said, though, as you, the NFL fan, you should not be bothered. And I can't read anymore the shock and awe mentality and people all of a sudden screaming to the high heavens that veteran players say like Odell Beckham Jr. is not at OTAs for the Giants in the Garden State. I just don't care. Honestly, I don't. And the Giants can be upset and McAdoo can be critical and Odell Beckham Jr. can go out there and favorite and retweet and say that they are voluntary. And that all well and good. And you can see reports and stories of him hanging out with Iggy Azalea at some bowling alley in Los Angeles. Or that he's going out there and working out with Chris Carter in some gym that was reminiscent of the one that Rocky and Apollo Creed worked out uh, in the Rocky movies a year ago as Rocky was trying to find the eye of the tiger. Um, and amazingly enough, Chris Carter's running through the workout with Odell Beckham Jr., and he's wearing dress shoes. I mean, who the hell does that, number one? Number two, or he can go out there and be celebrating and partying and having himself a good time and catching footballs with Johnny Manziel. Listen, I don't care. I don't care. Nor should you. I mean, I, I think we have to come to an understanding here as NFL fans of this and fans of the sports. The time to be bothered and upset, right? You want to tell me it's training camp? You want to tell me a veteran isn't there at the start of training camp? It's a contract holdout. He's upset with the organization. He's upset with the coach. Whatever it might be, even though he's under contract, then you have every right to scream and holler. Every right to be upset. But if you tell me that a OTA is voluntary, that you don't have to be there, then why does said player need to be there? They say, well, he's got to go out there and show leadership qualities. Let's understand. There are people in life that are leaders, and there are people in life that are not leaders. And not saying that they're not a follower and a sheep and that they can't think on their own. No, that is a different quarter category. What I mean by this, there are people that want to go out there and set the right example, and there are people out there that march to the beat of their own drum. And has nothing to do with sports. You run into them in every aspect of life. Friends, family, first job, second job, school, high school, college. It does not matter. You get it. You know it. You see it when you identify it. And you run into said person. Bring up Beckham Jr. as a perfect case in point. And if you hop online right now, and if you're outside the tri-state area listening to the sound of my voice, and you type in the Daily News website, New York Daily News, or the New York Post, or you know anybody that is covering the New York football giants, the stunning aspect to me 
is that people are actually surprised that Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't have a leadership quality to him. I mean, seriously. Or that Odell Beckham Jr. is all of a sudden going to grow up and mature and get it. Everybody matures at different ages in life, right? Some you meet are mature at 14 years of age, guy or girl, right? Some are 20. I could probably find a 65-year-old guy that still acts like he's 10 years old or a girl, right? You can People mature at different stages of their life. Just because you tell Odell Beckham Jr. that you're upset, he needs to go out there and mature a little bit and grow up and take football more as a responsibility and act, act a lot better on the field than off the field doesn't mean that that is going to happen. Does not mean that all of a sudden he is going to grow up and mature right before your very eyes and completely change in one offseason. So you can't be stunned and surprised when Odell Beckham Jr. is not at OTAs. Nor can you be stunned and surprised if he's out there at some stupid bowling alley with Iggy Azalea as she's trying to promote her new album. Nor could you be stunned and surprised that he's going out there leaning on Chris Carter, the same Chris Carter, who's a complete and utter fraud. Complete and utter fraud. Hell of a receiver. Hall of Famer. All he did was catch touchdowns. The same guy that took, told NFL rookies at a symposium that you better go out there. If you're going to go out and do bad, make sure you have a fall guy. Make sure you have some basically lapdog friend that is willing to go to jail for you. That guy. Should I be stunned and surprised that he's catching footballs with a burnout like Johnny Manziel? No, I shouldn't be surprised. Nor should you. But the shock and awe mentality, when you look at it, listen, when it really counts, guys like Beckham, playmakers, guys that get rewarded for their behavior, and Odell Beckham Jr. just got a five-year, between $28, $29 million shoe deal from Nike, most ever for an NFL player, could be worth $48 million over eight years, most ever for an NFL player. Why do you think he got that deal? Do you think it's just his play on the court, on the field, I should say? Do you think it's just the ability to go out there and make a one-handed catch? Do you think it's the ability to go out there and have, you know, over 100 receptions, 1,400 yards, and 10 touchdowns? Is it the great playmaking ability? It's all that, and it's his ability to go out there and collect with, uh, connect with millennials. It's ability to go out there and dominate the headlines on social media and to consistently go out there and be a major talking point. And until there is any kind of accountability or pushback on his behavior, he's going to continue to behave in the style and fashion that he is because he's getting rewarded for it. Because the Giants might be upset. Can they do anything about it? No. They can't do anything about it. They can't go out there and change him unless he wants to go out there and be changed. And he wants to change himself. It's all based on the individual. So the Giants can scream and holler, and they can go out there and be upset. And you as an NFL fan can be, oh, my God. I mean, how is he not at OTAs? I mean, it's the worst thing in the world. Do you really care if he's catching touchdowns in the regular season? No. You don't. And if you do, you're lying. If you tell me you do on this Saturday morning, you're lying. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. 
I could go back to a year ago at this time, and we could run through guys that missed OTAs and ask you, run through a list and say, who missed, who didn't? And you'd have no idea, just like I would have no idea. I don't care, nor should you. Nor should we make that big of a deal about it when a guy does. And then that brings us into the second point, where you're talking about reward for behavior, right? Now, the NFL, and we used to joke around about it, the NFL stood for no fun league. Can't have a good time. And I'm kind of an old school guy where I don't need to see the touchdown celebration, right? I don't need to see Steve Smith, as he did with the Carolina Panthers, you know, going down to the ground and, you know, basically putting his foot, putting the football on the ground and holding his hands to it like a doctor would to somebody's chest and compressing it like they're trying to restart somebody's heart. I don't need to go out there and, and see that. Nor do I need to see him treating it like a baby. I, I don't need to see all that. You know, Joe Horn with the cell phone, Terrell Owens with the Sharpie. I, I don't need to see I, I enjoyed Barry Sanders when he ran into the end zone. Act like you've been there before, right? A little bit of class, a little bit of style. And the NFL, for the most part, bought into it, right? They did away with the touchdown celebrations. If you're a Skins fan growing up, you remember the fun bunch, right? They'd go into the end zone. It was like five or six guys, and we scored a touchdown, jump in the air, all high five at the high point, jump it up, middle part, circle, get it, understand it. The NFL did away with all that, right, for a long time until this week. And aside from you going out there and gyrating your hips and twerking like Antonio Brown does, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Aside from that, basically anything else that you want to do after you score a touchdown is 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 a go. You can get your teammates involved. You can use the football as a prop. You can do snow angels. You just can't do anything sexual. I think that's basically what it came down from the National Football League this week. You know, don't use the football as a sex toy when you hit the end zone. Aside from that, the NFL has bought in and basically has said as a entity moving forward, we're going to embrace the celebration when you make the end zone. And what is that for? That's not for me. Not for anybody that's working here at CBS Sports Radio on this holiday weekend. You know what's that for? That's for the, you know, the 13, 14, 15-year-old out there. They want to make football fun again. They want to have that be part of the highlights that you see on a Sunday night or a Monday or when you hop on NFL.com on a Monday and you're going out there. If you're not able to watch the games on a Sunday and you're rolling through the highlights, you see, oh, check out this celebration. Now they're going to be contrived and concocted and worked on over the course of a week and throughout the course of practice. And guys are going to go out there and try and do the strangest, funnest, craziest touchdown celebrations that they possibly can do moving forward. And what is that the NFL going out there and doing? That's a matter of an adjustment. And people have been critical of it. And listen, I don't love it. I get it. I understand it. The old adage is adapt or die. And if that is what the NFL needs to go out there and do in order to get people to buy in a little bit more, hell, the product this past year wasn't particularly great. The Thursday night product is an absolute disaster. 
So as they adjust, as they try and adapt and make football fun again, if they want to embrace the touchdown celebration, so be it. I don't love it. I don't personally need to see it. Is it entertaining at times? No doubt. Do I think guys are going to go out there and give you some very, very fun, interesting celebrations over the course of the NFL season? No question about it. And I think it works. Some have been critical in saying that the NFL is selling out. I don't look at it as selling out. I look at it as adapting. And I think as a business model, if you don't adapt, you start to fall off. If you notice a little bit of something that uh, the fans want, the younger fans want, <coughs> excuse me, and you want to go out there and continue to go out there and churn out that fan base, you want to make sure that you're turning the fans over, especially younger and younger, and you want them to be lifelong NFL fans. So if you need to do something to attract the attention of the 12, the 13-year-old fan to where they are NFL fans for the duration, so be it. That's smart. That's not selling out. That's smart. And that's a good business model. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. We'll do a little wake-up call coming up here straight away next as I have to get a sip of water or else I'll choke to death here. Uh, Mark Malusis with you. Fly in solo. It is the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Mark Malusa's flying solo, 855-212-4CBS. Coming up in uh, less than 20 minutes, Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champion, current Devils color analyst, and won those cups as uh, a member of the New Jersey Devils. We'll talk a little Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about and, and preview the Stanley Cup finals, which get going on Memorial Day Monday night out in Pittsburgh as it is uh, the Penguins and the Predators uh, meeting up. Let's head out to Bel Air, Maryland. It's Nick at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Nick? Hey, Moose, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Nick. Good morning. You know, I, the two greatest sports in this nation, but let, let's give props now to the NHL. you got a great fan base that follows them. The NBA is probably surpassing baseball now and football again, the No Fun League. The, the NBA has figured it out. You know, they have – personified the game with, with the with the with the mega personalities. Um, a lot of the showbiz that's involved, the commissioner there, you know, not always in my liking, but he's kind of found a way to popularize, you know, the NBA and make it make it a culture in bed. Well baseball can't do it and football isn't doing it either. You know, you got the NFL with all these problems. You know, we're, we're traveling to, to, to London this year because we have to support a dead franchise in northern Florida, you know, and, 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 and deal with all that kind of stuff that's going on to try to prop that team up. Um, they allow the Lambeau Leap in, in Green Bay, but if, if other teams try to do it with their fan interactions, you know, it was a penalty last year. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't believe in, in, in the, maybe the excessive celebration, but, but a touchdown is a hard-earned thing, and to get a team involved is good. It brings uh, excitement in, in, in the venue. I mean, college football doesn't have ex- excessive celebrations either. They get penalized, but the crowd gets into it. The team's involved in the touchdown instead of all this individual shenanigans. But, um, you know, things need to change in our two major sports. I guess baseball is still a major sport in football. There is, there is no fun in the league. Look at baseball in the summer. 
you know, our, locally here, our Adam Jones put excitement in that World Baseball League by showing emotion and things like that. Yeah, with the WBC, but that, totally but that's also that area. Yeah, it's, just wanted to get your just wanted to get your feedback. That's my comment. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I I think when you look at Major League Baseball, I think there are there's gamesmanship, uh, showmanship, but you also don't want to show up your opponent. So. When I look at the World Baseball Classic, I, I look at it more of a contrived event. Uh, I'm not going to take away if you get into it. I don't personally. The atmosphere is great. The emotion you see from the players on the field, fantastic. You can't go out there because as short of an event as it is, you can't go out there and play and show that kind of emotion. 162 games in the MLB regular season, you'll be exhausted. You just can't do it. I mean, it's too long of a baseball grind. Nor would that be allowed because I, I, I do think, you know, you'd have issues of old school, new school and showing guys up. So you don't wanna you don't wanna have that happen or transpire. Listen, I, I don't need to personally see it, but I understand why the NFL is adapting and changing their celebration rule in the in the end zone. I do, I get it. And I think it's smart. And people might not like it, and people might be upset by it, been here, done that. If I ever scored a touchdown would I mean, I don't know what the hell I would do. I think I would go out there and just hand the ball to the referee, but if I actually scored a touchdown, I mean, I, I might spit on my head too. So you never know. I mean, so I, I get it. And if that's going to make it a more enjoyable watch, I get it. Let's get to a wake-up call. Ah, yes, and my wake-up call is of the NFL variety, and it's with an individual player, and that is now Bears wide receiver Victor Cruz, who – Went on a radio station after signing and inking a one-year deal with the Chicago Bears, and good luck to Victor in Chicago, and maybe he gets to Salsa once again as he reaches the end zone. But went on a radio station and knocked the way that he was handled at the end of his giant career. Think about this. Victor Cruz actually thinks, and he tried to walk back the statements because he probably looked at them in print and say, man, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is ludicrous. This is exactly what I said. But think about this. Victor Cruz actually went out on the radio station and said that he was bowling in the first half last year. First off, I watched every single Giant game. Victor Cruz didn't bowl in the first half. But he said he bowled in the first half. It didn't happen. But he said in the second half, didn't get the looks. Didn't get the receptions. All that is true because he wasn't open. But didn't get the looks of the receptions because the Giants didn't want him to be successful, have yards, catches, touchdowns, because they didn't want to bring him back. They didn't want to re-sign him. And if he had a good year, it would have been tough to re-sign. I mean, are we serious here? I mean, the NFL coach would basically sell their firstborn for a win on an NFL Sunday. I mean, they really would. They, I mean, honestly, they, that's all they care about. The NFL coach, it's all they think about is winning football games. So the idea that the Giants and Ben McAdoo would put together an offensive game plan and basically whisper in Eli's Manning's ear and say this, listen, he might be open. Don't throw it Victor's way. We can't have him having a good game because we don't want to bring him back next year. Just don't throw it Cruz's way. Throw it anywhere else but Victor Cruz. I mean, the man actually believed it. Man actually believed it. Then he tried to walk it back. It's insane. I mean, enjoy Chicago. 
And for the Bear fan out there that's listening, believe me, he's nowhere near the player he once was. He thinks he is, but he's not. But I wish him all the best. Tried to walk it back on Twitter as everybody goes out there and does. Hit the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, drop to thank the Giants for all the opportunities that you got and say, you know, don't believe everything that you read, fake news. I mean, Victor, you said it. I mean, I I can listen to the audio right now. It's insanity. So for Victor Cruz, wake up. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, keeping a car clean is a a simple and expensive form of maintenance. O'Reilly Auto Parts has all the cleaning and detailing products you need, including washes, waxes, leather, and vinyl care. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts for a clean car month and pick up some today. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's hit the guest line right now. Let's welcome aboard Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champ with the Devils, current Devils color analyst. Let's talk a little Stanley Cup playoff action Hey, Kenny, Mark Malusis with you. Thanks for a couple minutes this morning, bud. My pleasure, Mark. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Kenny. Doing well and and looking forward to these cup finals because, uh, you know, and and you know this. I mean, you you get to this stage for both teams. It's it's a hell of an accomplishment to get there and to be able to grind their way through and get through all the big games because these Stanley Cups for for Gary Bettman, he's about to be smiling ear to ear because these playoffs, Kenny, have been fantastic. Uh, they really have, and, and you mentioned the grind. Uh, sometimes it's the survival of the fittest, going four grueling rounds. We've seen both these teams uh, have a whole lot of depth, and that's what you need to get this far with the injuries both clubs have had. They've shown a lot of resiliency. So I think it's an intriguing matchup. There's a lot of good subplots along the way here. The city of Nashville and the excitement that's been created in the hockey market, uh, they've been able to produce there in Nashville in the excitement first time in a Stanley Cup finals against the evil empire, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who uh, everybody outside of Pittsburgh hopes uh, or probably hopes <laughs> that uh, Nashville finds a way to beat them, but they're that good. And there's a reason why they're there again, because they know how to win and they continue to grind through without a key player like Chris Latang playoffs. They just know how to get it done. And, oh, yeah, they've got a couple of guys by the name of Malkin and Crosby. And not many teams in the league could match that dynamic duo. You know, Kenny, before we look ahead and talk a little bit about this matchup that uh, comes your way Monday night, I, I got to say this. I mean, Ottawa, uh, you know, for Anderson, he played too well in game seven to lose. He, he really did. I mean, the, the Senators, you know, they, they were better than the, the sum of their parts, certainly. And they've got talent on that team. And Carlson's a wonderful defenseman and Bobby Ryan and the likes. And they continue to grind away. I mean, Anderson in that game seven, that double overtime loss, I mean, he was unbelievable in Nets for Ottawa. He, he was unbelievable all playoffs. And, and a great storyline as well, all the adversity and things that he had been dealing with off the ice with his wife uh, suffering from or battling cancer right now. And it's just been a real nice story. He's such a terrific guy. And he was terrific in game six and seven. And True. how heartbreaking to lose. I've been through it. I've been on both sides of winning game sevens, losing game sevens. And it's excruciating when you do. But uh, they gave it all they had. And unfortunately, it just ran uh, ran up to the defending Stanley Ran up against the defending Stanley Cup champs who – we're one goal better, and you got to give Ottawa a lot of credit. They probably weren't as deep and as talented as the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that's what makes the playoffs so great, Mark, is the fact that 
there are upsets. Goaltenders can steal your series. Players can make plays that uh, are the difference in in games. And I, I don't know if the Penguins knew that the Ottawa Senators were going to give them that much trouble along the way, and they found a way to, to squeak by them. But it was a terrific Eastern Conference Finals. And the Game 7s, that's what we live for as far as fans. It's so exciting, and there was enough drama in that game. Uh, for everybody, and that's what the National Hockey League certainly likes. You know, when you when you go through, Kenny, you mentioned that you've been there, done that, and you've had a lot of great wins and a lot of tough losses. How, how much do how much do the losses? You know, that loss for Ottawa. How much do you? How long does it hang with that team? <laughs> well, probably uh, the rest of the summer. Really, I mean, it's tough when you get that close. Uh, it's really difficult to deal with, obviously, but. Then again, you look at it and you go, boy, uh, we we played our hearts out. Did we leave anything on the table? And I don't think the Ottawa Senators said they could. Obviously, nobody remembers uh, second and who loses, and that's the unfortunate part, uh, as good as your team played. But they were the Cinderella story throughout these playoffs and, and certainly made it interesting and exciting. And now it's it's about learning from your experience, and if you can take it that next step, it's not easy. You don't know if you'll get back there sure. again with the competitive balance in this league. Uh, but they gave the Pittsburgh Penguins all they could handle. And I, I thought it was terrific. You know, a lot of people have talked about Ottawa. You know, while well, they play a boring style, they play a defensive style, whatever it may be. But you mentioned at the start, Mark, they got a lot of good players. And I take nothing away with That's the, the intriguing stuff for me in the playoffs is you've got to figure ways and derive ways, schemes to – to stop a team that uh, has all that offensive firepower. I mean, uh, not every team, like I said, has a Crosby or Malkin. And I felt uh, they played plenty uh, uh, exciting hockey at times and did what they had to do to to make this series a seven-game series. And it was fun. It was exciting. Uh, But that's the fun part of it. So I never take anything away from a team trying different avenues because you can't just play play the Pittsburgh Penguins play because they're going to out-talent you. We're talking to Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champ with the Devils, current Devils uh, analyst, does a fantastic job talking about the Stanley Cup finals, which get going Monday night in Pittsburgh. You know, Ken, when you look at Nashville, you mentioned the the atmosphere down in Nashville, and we'll get to this Predators team here momentarily. You know, the, the, it, it could be, a, you know, a teaching lesson for other NHL teams in American cities here across the country because – what they have done, the scenes of when the Predators come back home from a road trip at the airport, the scenes at that arena, uh, pregame. I mean, they have created basically a collegiate-type atmosphere if you're a Predator fan. I mean, it could be a a teaching lesson for other cities around the country as well. I really could, and it's great for the National Hockey League, great for hockey, not only the excitement with their big club, the Predators, obviously, and, and the legends singing the national anthem. We all wait to see who they're going to roll out. Yes. Next, which is going to be fantastic in game three when they get back to Nashville uh, to resume the series after the first two in Pittsburgh. But the youth hockey in Nashville has grown tremendously. It's created excitement amongst the kids. So it's great uh, the way hockey in itself has grown from the youth level as well there. And, and in a market that, you know, some people said, well, it's, it's going to be difficult. Now, obviously, the fans are being rewarded. Everybody loves a winner. And their first opportunity, first crack at a Stanley Cup championship. I can't imagine if the Predators happen to pull off this upset and beat the Pittsburgh Penguins because it would be somewhat of an upset, uh, the excitement in Nashville. But, boy, oh, boy, uh, you're going to raise the decibels. They're going to raise the decibels off the roof, I certainly 
uh, when game three rolls around, that's for sure. And it's been just a terrific story and, and what a great, great atmosphere, like I mentioned. All right, Kenny, when you look at this matchup, let's take it from a Nashville perspective first. Uh, Rene's got to be fantastic. We understand that. The loss of Johansson as well, uh, you know, lack of depth at the center position. What do you think Nashville needs to do in order to give themselves, uh, you know, a couple keys for the Predators in order to, sell, to give themselves an opportunity to win the Cup? Well, if you really look at this, uh, it's the Pittsburgh Penguins' depth and their offense. And, and let's not forget, though, people sometimes uh, don't look at how good Pittsburgh is defensively and how they defend in their own zone. Yeah, when they get the puck and get going, they want to use speed. They want to use creativity with the talent they have. And they've had some injuries. They're banged up. And uh, they've had these guys come right in the lineup, depth guys, from their whether it be from their farm team or – or whatever it may be, you need 26, 27 guys to go these four grueling rounds that can not only play and fill a spot but contribute, and they've had that. But I think it's their offense against the Nashville Predator defense that some say, and, and I believe as well, may be the best in the National Hockey League. They're mobile, they can skate the puck out of their zone, and that's the key. They can't spend a whole lot of time in their zone Pittsburgh Penguins get the most quality opportunities in the high slot areas, and that's something that the Nationals, they're going to give up shots. Pecorini's going to have to play well, like you mentioned, and make some saves. But I think they're the best team that's well-equipped to keep Pittsburgh to the outside because of their mobility and, and skating and the way these guys are able to get the puck up ice to their forwards. Uh, their top four is as good as it gets in the National Hockey League. That's the matchup I'm I'm looking for. Yeah, they're... They're depleted down the middle, and Ryan Johansson would have made this series completely different because he's a big stud and number one centerman that can match up against a Crosby or a Malkin. Now you've got kind of guys that uh, have done it by committee and, and have played extremely well, and they're going to have to play well again. That's Sissons and Yarn Croke. Can they match Malkin and Crosby? Probably not, but they're going to have to neutralize or at least contribute a little bit offensively to be in this series and and that's going to be a fun one certainly i want to see how nationals defense can defend against uh the firepower of a malkin a crosby a kessel a rust and, and guys like that for the penguins if they do a good job defensively and they, and they handle themselves well kenny and uh, you think they can win this series against pittsburgh well i think it's going to take a tall order if i'm going to be completely honest but uh they seem to be the the magical team that's been on this run this year, and we know anything can happen. I think it's going to be a terrific series, and I do think it could go the distance for sure. They've got to get off to a good start. They've got to win a game in Pittsburgh, in my opinion. No doubt about that. To go back to Nashville feeling good about their team and say that we feel confident enough we can beat the defending Stanley Cup champs. And it all starts with, with having a good effort maybe in game one and finding a way to win a game. In Pittsburgh, uh, do I think they can beat them? Of course they do. Do they have a puncher's chance? No doubt about it. Uh, but, again, to knock off the champs, it's going to take everything. It's going to take terrific goaltending because Pittsburgh has as good of a young goaltender who's won a cup as well. Uh, but this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm very intrigued by this matchup here, and it's great to see a new team in there. I love to see yeah. the Nashville never been there. Uh, they've created a lot of excitement throughout the National Hockey League. So it should be a lot of fun here, and no better way or no more fitting than if you win, you got to beat the best, and that's the Pittsburgh Penguins, and, and there's no doubt in my mind they are the best team in the National Hockey League if you look at it on paper. We're talking to Ken Danico, three-time Stanley Cup champ, uh, Devils uh, analyst, uh, breaking down the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, hey, Ken, uh, 
Boy, when you look at Pittsburgh and Crosby, what would a third cup do for the legacy of Crosby? Well, you know what? His legacy for me is, is almost cemented. He's that good. He's that good of a leader. He leads by example. And I always tell people and young kids, uh, you watch Sidney Crosby and what makes him special. Yes, he's got the skill of all these star guys that have come before him and guys that are in the league today with the great passing ability and vision and seeing the play a couple of steps ahead. But if you watch him on a nightly basis in every shift, he's the hardest working guy on the ice. And that was, that's what makes him special. He's relentless on the puck. He's so tough to contain because of his lower body strength and the way he spins off you. And, and I think, yeah, if he wins another Stanley cup, well, you're going to put him top 10 all time. He's that good. He, if he's not there already, he's that close. So he's, Legacy is pretty cemented with me. It just takes it another step further, obviously, if the Penguins win another cup because Sidney Crosby, everybody says along the way where he's banged up or he's had the odd concussion and, you know, he's slowing down at times and, and maybe he's not the Sidney Crosby old and then he goes have a, has a magical game and he sets up the game winner in game seven with a beautiful pass to Kunitz. That's what the great ones do. And, and I've got nothing but accolades for Sidney Crosby. He takes a lot of flack because he's that guy, like I said, the Penguins at times. You always want to beat the best, and and they're the evil empire. Well, Sidney Crosby, the people get on him from the standpoint that when you're that good, just like yeah. a LeBron James, you want to beat him, and you want to beat him bad, and <laughs> you give him some flack along the way. But – Boy, oh boy, he's got the will, he's got the skill, and, and, and that's what it takes this time of year. So, for me, he, he may be in the top ten uh, in the history of this game already as far as great players. Hey, Kenny, we got about uh, 90 seconds to go. One thing, I always want to ask you this question. When you win it, what, what are you thinking about when you lift that cup up over your head on the ice? <laughs> well, I, I think it's surreal. I mean, as a kid, you grow up wanting to play in the National Hockey League for a lot of us that have played uh, in the league and the second thing is I remember as a 10 year old boy I carried a garbage can over my head pretending it was a Stanley Cup so it's the ultimate dream it's what you play for and and everybody says that but it really means something and when you're on the top of the mountain uh, uh, you just feel all that comes feel, back you think about when you were a kid and when you were 10 years old when you're oh hoisting. absolutely absolutely I'd play street hockey pretending it was the Stanley Cup raising the garbage can over my head and I especially from my standpoint when I was a youngster with New Jersey Devils we weren't very good and to be able to still be on the team and usually you get traded along the way or you're not unable to fulfill that dream with the same organization but for any player that's able to raise that Stanley Cup uh, it's just a dream come true and the parties the celebrations uh, all the fans and everybody that uh, uh, cheers so hard for you you're so grateful for and it was just just fantastic and yeah i was fortunate to do it a few times with a great group of guys but i will tell you especially for a team like nashville it's never one you don't know if you're ever going to get there again yeah seize the opportunity you think you might but you've got to make sure you you seize the opportunity and, and get that that stanley cup because it may not come again Ken Danico, he knows it. Three-time Stanley Cup champ with the Devils, a longtime defenseman. He was a great player, now a Devils analyst. Hey, Kenny, I appreciate the time this morning. Knock him straight on the golf course, all right, Kenny? Uh, all right, you got Mark, the most humbling game in the world. I hate it. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> Ken Danico. with you. <laughs> you. Pleasure's all mine. Have yourself a good Memorial Day weekend. Uh, three hours down, hour left to play with. We're going to kick off the, the fourth and final hour. We're going to talk to Craig Gielo, talk about the NBA Finals and the Cavs. We'll do that next. Malusis with you. Moose and Maggie show flying solo, CBS Sports Radio.
This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, we've hit the fourth and final hour here on this holiday weekend. On this Saturday morning, Mark Malusis flying solo. Maggie Gray, a well-deserved Saturday off. You've got uh, uh, rolling right along as we uh, come to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. And let's hit the guest line to kick off the fourth hour. And let's welcome aboard Craig Elo. Uh, great guest before, going to be a great guest right now. 14-year NBA veteran, talk a little Cavs basketball, a little bit about the NBA final, Steve Kerr and the like. Hey, Craig, uh, happy Memorial Day weekend to you, brother, and appreciate the time this morning. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, and the same to you. And, uh, yeah, this is getting to be very uh, routine for uh, the Cavs and the Warriors, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is, Craig. And, and what about, you know, what LeBron is accomplishing? I mean, you know, you'd be the perfect guy to ask. Uh, and I know, you know, you didn't go up against James. But when you, when you look at, you know, your time going up against Michael, what separated Michael? You know, and Ed, I, I, from your personal, you know, experience, perspective, going up against Jordan in, in the Jordan and James comparison, who do you think is the better player? You know, I always I always thought that probably Michael um, was a little bit better um, just because he kind of did it first, and uh, that's what kind of everybody has the bar at is what he did. And then, um, you know, LeBron came along and, and strived for that same thing. The similarities are, are very similar as far as, like, what uh, their drive is and the, their competitiveness is and wanting to win championships and teammates are. So that's – you know, noticeable. But the biggest difference is I think Michael, it was a great one-on-one player. And uh, if he was to play today in this, in the game today, he, I think he would be successful because of what he could do with the basketball. But LeBron has this gear that, you know, I, that was added that Michael didn't have this, you know, this extra, just speed, I guess, and uh, size and, and uh, the physicality of him. And I think that's where, uh, you know, the, the biggest difference that I see is just in that. But those both of them are great champions, and, and they're going to be known for that. But uh, I tell you what, LeBron, they putting these teams on his shoulders, you know, what was it, about two weeks into, uh, before the season ended, the Cavs yeah. were kind of going the, the opposite way, and now he's got them going in the right way. No, he, he, certainly, he certainly does uh, have that, Craig, and – you know, for that town, for that city, taking that pressure, coming back, and to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish in that city—a city that you know and love and played for—you um, know, that, that's a pretty, it's a pretty big accomplishment. Oh my gosh! Um, I mean, to people when he left uh, for Miami, the burning—you know—he's not our son anymore. Uh, to having him back in open arms, and then promised them that he would get a championship for him. And to hang a banner at the queue, I mean, what he's done for that city, just, you know, sports-wise and, and bragging-wise is because is, uh, I've been there and I know how much the fans really appreciate you and for what you do. Uh, but to bring him a championship and do what he did, uh, yeah, he, he's he's always got the key to the city. And, you know, it's it's not just what he does for the sports uh, uh, fans there in Cleveland, the economic uh, factor is, is one that can be played in uh, too. So, yeah, that's, you know, not very many people have that uh, 
that kind of a thing going that that could really help a town out like uh, LeBron did for Cleveland. You know, you mentioned that extra year for extra gear for James that Michael didn't have. Craig, I, I'm curious when you watch the NBA game now, and I and the athletes have evolved, right? So everyone's bigger, faster, stronger. They've opened the game up. Do you, do you like the game uh, being a, as wide open as it is? Uh, lack of physicality. I mean, it, it's significantly different as compared to to when you uh, you know Michael played the Pistons and that kind of tough and beat them up style of basketball. I mean, that era is completely gone with all the rule changes. Do you think the game is better off for it? I I, I think. I believe so. Uh, I think you got to kind of evolve when the players like the players do. And, and I totally agree with you. Their speed, their strength, and, and everything is a lot different than the era that I played in. Um, I think the biggest difference that I see now also is that they're so good athletically and one-on-one-wise that, you know, the, I think the first option is get as far as you can. And uh, if you got a, a mismatch, which usually happens with all the switching now, um, that uh, you're going to have those one-on-one situations. Whereas, you know, the triangle offense was great for Michael, and, and he could get open and, and get uh, his teammates open. And it was, you know, a continuity type of an offense that, uh, you know, made the ball go from one side of the floor to the other. So a lot of set plays, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, were kind of in my era, uh, which is not so much in, in today's game. Yeah, you mentioned the triangle offense, Craig. Do you think, you know, and, and Phil's having a hard time instituting that here in New York with the Knicks um, and getting the personnel. Listen, a lot of things are easier when you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen uh, to go out there and do. But uh, I'm curious, when you look at that offense, do you think that offense still works in today's day and age? Uh, I mean, you can run it and, and and probably get something out of it, but no, I don't. I don't think it's it's geared for the game today. I think these guys, uh, they need to. They, uh, I mean, they're all four of your teammates all touching the ball, and that's kind of what the triangle does in in, in the continuity part of it. But uh, I think it, it just it it would break down too quickly. Uh, the rules on defense, where you know I had to be at least an arm's length from from uh, Michael at all times, or Scotty, whoever I was guarding. And uh, today you can you know get away with being. In, I mean, they're still def- illegal defense, but it, it's not like what it was. And and those kind of a plays uh, like the triangle offense. Um, works well when you know the man-to-man has to be right there and you set some good screens you'll get some guys open and uh, a lot of this uh, today also defense allowed to switch so much uh, it it just doesn't make sense to to make you know have a set play or a continuity type of an offense we're talking to Craig Elo 14-year NBA veteran Mark Malusis flying solo this is the Moose and Maggie show Saturday mornings on CBS Sports Radio. Craig, we're going to wait a while till we get to these NBA Finals. You know, the, the trilogy, third straight year, we get Cavs and Warriors. Let's look at it from a Cleveland perspective. You know, growing off the championship, you mentioned, you know, LeBron taking this team and this team uh, themselves, uh, you know, to a different level. He thinks there's another level they can go out there and get to, and they might have to get to it in order to go out there and beat Golden State. But but the, the biggest reason why you think, aside from James, uh, you know, you think the biggest reason why you think the Cavs can go out there and beat Golden State for a second straight year? 
I, I think it, it all uh, stems with with Kyrie, and then uh, also the X factor for our uh, for the Cavs are really just a role player is, is what Tristan can do for uh, the rebounding part. Uh, you know, there was always that question mark uh, three years ago. Uh, I can't th- I can't remember the big guy's name that was the center for uh, Cleveland. That hurt having a center on the on the court, even though you know Bogut was playing on the other side, uh, but. Very, you know, starts the game and then doesn't play a lot. But uh, I mean, today yeah, you're talking no about Mozgov for Cleveland, and um, I think uh, it, it's just there's a three-headed monster out there, uh, and Kyrie is is the two-headed monster as far as uh, as goes for Cleveland. So he's going to have to have another phenomenal series like he did last year uh, to come alongside uh, LBJ. All right, how about from Golden State when you look at this Warriors team and adding Durant? And, and, and Craig, I made the argument before, and I'm curious what your take is. I think there's more pressure on Durant in these finals than there is even on LeBron James um, because of Durant's decision last year to leave Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. And he made that decision ultimately to try and win an NBA championship, and that opportunity is right before him. Oh, no question. I mean, he's... He's been uh, with with Oklahoma City one time, and that was very early in his career. And so he's got a taste of it, and he knew that he couldn't do it with just him and Russell. So he chose to go to a team that uh, uh, their style of play kind of fit his style. And yeah, it didn't do nothing but add to the, uh, to that team uh, as as much as as you can uh, think about because the only thing. Uh, is for Golden State. There, there, there are an outside or perimeter shooting team. Uh, you know, if, if Curry's off and, and Clay hasn't really found his rhythm, I think that's where Kevin really steps up and, and helps them out. And you know, if it's three-one uh, last year with uh, Kevin on the team, I, I doubt if Cleveland would have had a chance to win it. So. Uh, I think this is is something that uh, definitely Kevin went to to the Warriors to do that, and and uh, I th- felt like that was his best opportunity. But I tell you, it's just it's amazing what uh, the leadership that uh, LeBron has displayed and and pulling these guys up by the by the belt and and uh, you know getting them to do what they're doing. So I don't think anyone's going to jump out like a three-one uh, lead like we saw last year. I think each game's going to be pretty exciting. Well, I asked this question earlier, and I'll ask it to you, Craig. You know, these NBA playoffs have not been anything great uh, up until this stage. They really haven't been. Uh, but we've all been waiting for this matchup. Um, and we've been waiting basically for a year after Durant decided to leave Oak City for, for Golden State. Do you think it lives up to the billing? Do you think these NBA finals, when they get going June 1st, are going to live up to everyone's anticipation? I got to think so. I, I yeah, both of these teams are, are capable of blowing someone out and, and getting ahead uh, on on each other. But um, I, I think they're, they're, the matchups are good. I think, you know, it's it's the style of play that uh, everybody wants to, to kind of watch. I wouldn't put it – I would bet money on it that, that a lot of the games are going to be, you know, 118 to 116 or 118, you know, in that, that high of a number – uh, it just because of the way they play. So I, I think both teams can, uh, can uh, you know, whoever's hot can actually blow the other one out. But I think those games will be a lot more closer and a lot, comp- uh, a lot of competitiveness. 
uh, in them, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I mean, the, the, all the stars are out, and, and you know, both teams have uh, all their stars uh, that are studded. That, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting series. I say it goes probably the seven games, and uh, and then the, the last one will, will kind of be like uh, the drama that unfolded last year in that last game. Yeah, it would be remarkable if we get seven games. I mean, that would be off the charts. I mean, the NBA would be celebrating left and right. You know, Kerr has been going through all these, uh, you know, and been battling through everything with his back, Craig. You know, former teammate you were of Steve Kerr, you know, go all the way back to 92 uh, on that Cav- uh, on that Cavalier team. He-, he was a guy that came off the bench for you guys, just 26 years of age then. When-, when you look at what Kerr's been able to do, what he's battling through, did you know, you knew he could go out there and play. You know, did you get a feel when you were his teammate that, that Kerr had the opportunity to maybe uh, – not just play the game, but go out there and coach the game as well? Oh, no question. A very cerebral player. His basketball IQ was off the charts. Uh, he always had – we always had conversations about his coach, uh, Lute Olson, and the influence that uh, he had on Steve. And uh, Steve's, like I said, great head on his shoulder. He knew exactly that he could do something like he did with Phoenix in the GM part. Uh, he never mentioned to me, though, that he would want to coach. But everything that we ever discussed uh, on the floor as, as teammates was he was always putting me in the right place or, or helping me uh, when he when he was on the bench and I was out playing, come back, you know, to a timeout. He's always saying, like, oh, the pump fake or, you know, he's going left a lot. So, yeah, he's definitely had the, the ability to, to coach. Uh, it, it, and uh, he was just a great person. Also, he was easy to get along with, and and uh, so I, yeah, I think he was able to to uh, manage the egos like he uh, he does right now. So uh, it, it did surprise me that without any prior <laughs> really uh, experience, though, uh, other than just having you know Coach Pop when he played at San Antonio and Phil at Chicago and Lenny at in Cleveland, that. Um, yeah, he kind of took on all of those guys' uh, uh, knowledge and uh, their uh, intelligence about the game. So, but never really mentioned that that would be something he'd want to do. You got to feel for him a little bit now, battling through all this that he's battling through, and not being able to be on that bench with this team. Craig, yeah, Sorry, yeah, I, I lost you there. No, you got it, Craig. I was saying you got to feel for Steve a little bit right now, you know, battling oh. through what he's battling through, not being able to be on the bench for this team. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a guy that is is the ultimate teammate. That even when he didn't get a lot of minutes uh, in Cleveland, uh, that he was always you know right there uh, involved in the game. Sure, and he uh, he's. Boy, I tell you, there were some good practices where him and Mark Price went at each other pretty hard. Uh, so, yeah, he, he definitely would love to be sitting on the bench with those guys and, and being part of it. And I think the timeouts, when when you go and hear him on those wired things, all the things he says are just right on. And uh, so uh, it's got to be killing him to, to not be there on the bench with him. I know he's there in spirit and mind, in mind but, you know, the body wants to be right there with him. But. That was a pretty smart hire in hiring Mike Brown. Yeah, it really was. It really was. I imagine you're going with the Cavs in the finals, right, Craig? No question. I got it. <laughs> it's in my heart that I'll always be a Cleveland Cavalier. So, uh, I mean, I'll never get to retire my number or anything, but if I did, that's where I would always go was uh, there to, to retire. So. <laughs> hey, 
Well, hey, Craig, we always appreciate your perspective when you pop on here on Saturday mornings. We really do. And uh, have a great holiday weekend. Enjoy it and enjoy the start to the NBA Finals, all right? All right. I appreciate you having me on. And hopefully the Indy 500 won't have anything like the, the Derby did where that horse didn't go, what, two feet? Yes, yes, that's right. Thunder snow coming out of Dubai. You're right. Hopefully the Indianapolis 500 is a little bit better. All righty. All right, you got it. Craig Elo, uh, 14-year NBA veteran, a longtime Cleveland Cavalier. And, uh, yes, amazingly enough, it just shows you. And the Indy 500 uh, used to be huge. Um, You know, open-wheel racing. uh, You knew the likes, uh, you know, Mario and uh, Mario Andretti, um, Michael. Um, and, uh, you know, Dario Franchitti, you go up at Emerson Fittipaldi, uh, the answers, and where that, where the sport of open wheel racing was compared to where it is right now. And the, the Daytona 500, you know, working with guys like John Minko, WFAN, who used to work in that area, always said that uh, it's one of those bucket list events that you got to go to if you're a sports fan. But it's amazing where, where that, uh, the, the lack of heat that um, that event now draws and coverage that it draws as compared to where it was 20, 25 years ago. I mean, it is night and day, but if you're into it, it's a great event and watch it. It's something to flip on Memorial Day weekend, no question. Our thanks to Craig Elo there. We got some tweets of the week coming up. Rashad McCants, former NBA player, North Carolina collegiately, going to be part of that three-on-three league as well. We'll talk to Rashad McCants a little later on this hour as well. But Tweets of the Week come your way next. Mark Malus is flying solo. It is the Moose and Maggie Show, Saturday morning, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along. Mark Malusis with you. Coming up in uh, about 15 minutes or so, uh, we'll talk to uh, former North Carolina Tar Heel, and uh, that is Rashad McCants, former King and Timberwolf in the NBA. Um, and we'll talk about his uh, new venture, which is uh, uh, the three-on-three league, uh, which gets going, I believe, uh, in Brooklyn. Um in uh, that's where 10 city tour uh, Brooklyn is where it gets going. So we'll talk to McCants about that. Uh, his days at Carolina, a fallout there, um, and some of his uh, things that's been going on away from the court as well as uh, he's grabbed headlines with that and the Kardashians. Let's get to some tweets of the week. All right, Bill Simmons roasted by Mallory Eddins, who was the star of the NBA draft lottery, I think, a couple years ago. Uh, I think her followers went up about 100 times after people got a view of her. A very attractive young lady, daughter of the Bucks owner. So not only attractive, but a millionaire as well. Life is good. The Milwaukee Bucks, this was Bill Simmons, the Milwaukee Bucks need a new GM. They should have hired me in 2008. There's still time at Medins Eddins. That's her uh, Twitter handle. And then Mallory responded, might need to see an updated pitch. A lot has changed since 2008. That is very true. Even the color of my hair is different. And I guess Simmons in 2008 also said, well, I always have ESPN, even if I failed in Milwaukee as Bucks general manager. So uh, Simmons doing a nice job trying to get his name back out there. NFL remembers Cortez Kennedy. Reggie Wayne, RIP Cortez Kennedy, gone way too early. Thanks for always sharing knowledge to a young buck like me. Hashtag the U. John Elway, really sad to lose a guy like Cortez Kennedy, a great personality a great player, and I enjoyed competing against him. Prayers to his family. Jimmy Johnson, shocked at Cortez Kennedy passing. One of the most talented players I ever recruited or coached. 
a fun-loving person, a sad day. Uh, one of the great defensive linemen that I've ever seen. Uh, Miami uh, lived up to the billing, Hall of Famer, uh, remarkable talent. I mean, 48 years of age is is way too young to be living this earth, so our thoughts and prayers certainly go out to Cortez Kennedy's family. Here's some more NBA tweets. Josh Richardson, it's completely beyond me how people can seem so lit and fun on social media but have the personality of cardboard box in real life. Is that really stunning? Because do you, do you think people would actually say stuff to your face that they say on Twitter, scratching their genitalia in their underwear, as they say it? I mean, honestly. Is, can that be all that surprising? I mean, honestly. I mean, I mean, people on the on Twitter are harsh and nasty at times. You think they'd actually say that to your face? Think someone will walk up to their your face if they weren't a fan at you and say you suck? No. Or call you a name or curse at you? No, they wouldn't do that. Come on, come on, Josh, wake up, Jared Sollinger. Just for a second, can we sit back and enjoy greatness without comparisons? Let's not uh, put greatness on a totem pole. Instead, let's sit back, enjoy the ride. And when that player is done, let's debate. All right. So stop with the Jordan-LeBron James comparisons right now. Frank Kaminsky, I'm at least 51% positive that Fat Joe is on my flight right now. All right. Uh, Anthony Morrow, Shaq feet came through the TV screen just now. I don't even know. I don't even want these turkey burgers no more. Yeah, Shaq's feet are ugly. I mean, they are really tough to look at. Really, really tough to look at. Uh, Frank Kaminsky then did some recon. Definitely not Fat Joe. Thank God I only said 51% positive. So what do you ask, the stewardess? I mean, where, what was Kaminsky doing at that? Or you strike up a conversation. Dwayne Wade, as a basketball fan, it's only right we get this rematch again. Yes, thank you, Dwayne. Tristan Thompson, what a blessing. Three straight finals appearances. On to the next one. Hashtag defend the land. And then Sean Livingston, proud of my brothers. Three straight trips are nothing to take for granted. Hashtag, now let's finish. Hashtag, dub nation. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, is your car ready for summer road trips from changing your oil and filter and topping off fluids to inspecting your car's braking system? O'Reilly Auto Parts has the parts and accessories that guarantee low prices to get you on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. And, um... Let's hit the guest line like right now. Let's welcome aboard uh, former NBA player, former North Carolina Tar Heel, now part of the Big Three League, uh, Ice Cube's Big Three League, number one overall pick, and that is Rashad McCants, who who joins me now. Hey, Rashad, Mark Malusis with you. Thanks for a couple minutes here on this Saturday morning, bud. Man, thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it, Rashad, and and certainly you know we'll. A lot of things to get into with you, and and got to hit upon some of the you know the the Kardashian headline as well, Rashad. At some point in time, but uh, what to, to the be the number one overall pick? This new venture with Ice Cube, the Big Three League, you know, it, you know, it, it's got to be satisfying to be the number one overall pick. You're in your early 30s now, and and what do you think this league can do and provide for the basketball fan around the country? Um, it's it's a gracious moment. Uh, definitely humbling and uh, appreciative, and uh, to be part of something new and legendary with a, a bunch of elite and also legendary players is like uh, Allen Iverson, Chauncey Billups, and uh, Charlotte Lewis, Kenya Martin, Al Harrington, guys like that, with Charles Bar- uh, Clyde Drexler, Julius Irving. You know, 
how can you say no as a player, you know, to be around that kind of company? So um, the fans have something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, it's going to be, you know, we, we've talked to, to a number of people that are associated with the league and looking forward to it, getting it going in Brooklyn, and you're going to visit 10 cities across the country, Rashad, and it's certainly going to be entertaining. And this is going to be a very, very, you know, pro, uh, you know, fan kind of atmosphere, right? I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. You want it to be a great experience for the fans, correct? Absolutely. I think that's the, the, the main target is for us to create such a – an elaborate experience for the fans, um, giving them, you know, some musical performances, giving them a new four-point shot, uh, allowing hand-checking, and um, also just that celebrity-driven type of audience. Um, when you have a guy like Ice Cube into film production, um, you can't lose with this type of uh, production. So um, something the fans should truly uh, be excited for. Yeah, and Rashad, how about for yourself? I mean, to be the number one overall pick, you ran through some of the names and some of the guys that are going to be playing, and to be the number one overall pick in this league, that's got to be, uh, you know, that's got to be pretty satisfying for you. Man, um, come a long way, man. Um, to be in this company, as I said, this elite company, it's it's so humbling and just uh, gracious. So um, I'm just glad that Kenya Martin and Al Harrington and, and, and Mr. Rick Mahorn see my talent as something that can be an addition to their team and to help them win and try to win the championship. Um, there's no other honor that, that, that I could feel so appreciative about. You know, and, and it's it's interesting, Rashad, because I grew up a Nick fan, right? So you mentioned hand-checking, and, you know, I love hand-checking, right? Because it brings me back to Riley, brings me back to when the Knicks could go out there and play a little defense yeah. in the NBA, which you can't really necessarily go out there and do anymore. I mean, the game is so much more wide open you know, but there is a place. I'm not talking about being dirty or being nasty, but there is a place for physicality in basketball, correct? Oh, absolutely. I think that's what the fans miss. You know, the fans like yourself is some of that grit, you know, some of that Agreed. passion. And I, and I think that, you know, as players, we show our passion in our defense and we show our passion sometimes in our fouling. And um, it, it creates a personality. And uh, that's what the NBA is missing. There's no personalities out there anymore. Everybody's robotic. Um, they're just moving around, playing to the tune. But, and, and back in the 90s and the 2000s, you had actual personalities out there. And due to hand-checking and being able to play defense, you know, it allows you to be a trash talker. It allows you to show some of your character. And uh, that's what the big three is going to bring to the table. You know, Rashad, I want to touch upon a couple other things with you, and uh, you know, we'll get into certainly, and and it's going to be a, a wonderful, you know, a, you know, display of basketball across the country, you know, during the course of the summer. Looking forward to watching you play. And you look back on your career, Rashad. It, it's been a journey for you since you won that national championship in, in 2005 for North Carolina. You know, I'm curious. It was a great column of piece in the Charlotte Observer earlier this week, and and going through a lot of things in your life. Um, uh, I'm, what we, if I'd ask you, Rashad, you know, you're in your early 30s right now. You know, do you regret any of the decisions you've made, you know, over the course of, of your, you know, early adulthood here? Um, I'd say this, man. Um, There's a lot of speculation on what my career actually held. And I had my own expectations of, of what I was capable of doing. And I'm sure a lot of fans had expectations of what my ability should have done, but it's so far in between to say that my, my NBA career was a failure. You know, I went there, I, I averaged 15 points a game in my third year, 
uh, 10, 10 points a game in my whole career. It's not a lot of people who can say that they've done that. Um, so the struggles for me has just been trying to overcome what I was expected to do. And um, to have any regret for that, there's a few things that got in the way of me reaching my full potential. And um, some, 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 sometimes you look back and you say, man, if I would have done this different, this different, things would have been um, a lot better for me. Um, but I think that everything that happened to me along the way created me to be this amazing man, amazing son, amazing role model for uh, the up-and-coming kids. And I can't say that I, I regret too many too many things except for the things that have been stated in the public recently. Yeah, well, I mean, is, it's um, Khloe Kardashian, you know, correct? Yeah, I mean. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the Kardashian thing is um, um, – it, it was taken out of context uh, quite a bit um, just because I wasn't pointing the finger at Chloe. I was pointing the finger at our relationship, and uh, our relationship put a strain on other relationships that I was having in the NBA with executives, with coaches, with teammates, um, and it gave me a certain attention that wasn't warranted at the time. It wasn't really um, – it wasn't seen around the league. Uh, I think the only other guy – um, that ever really dated this celebrity was Chris Webber. And um, it was new for everybody. And, and I got t- attention that, you know, coaches and executives didn't think I like, I needed or deserved. So uh, it, it put a hold on all those relationships, man. And, and it definitely affected me. And uh, it's a deeper story than that. It's something I can't really go into now, but it's something that will be eye-opening to the fan, um, the, the hater, um, the, the congratulator, everybody will be able to understand once I tell the real story of how it affected me. When's that story coming out? You got a book coming out here soon, Rashad? Uh, yeah, we got something like that coming there along. There you brother, go, so. Rashad. There you go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'm on your team, Rashad, because my wife watches the Kardashian show all the time. I get home late at night. It's on the it's on the TV. She's passed out in the bed. And I, really, I, I can't take it anymore. I've, I've had enough with the Kardashians. <laughs> well, so they've been around you. a long time, man. It's like, how, how much longer can we, you know, endure? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good for TV. You know, that that's the one thing it is. It's good for TV. Yeah. And um, I just don't like that everybody takes it so serious. So... Uh, you know, Rashada, and I got to ask you about Carolina. You know, you, you, and I loved watching you play collegially and, you know, enjoyed watching you in the pros as well. Um, and, but, you know, helping deliver Carolina a championship, you know, you brought to light everything with the, you know, the, the scandal down there and Roy Williams, uh, you know, and, and you mentioned in, in the column this week and the article this week in The Observer and wanted to mention about that. What about your relationship here with Carolina, and that's what I mentioned about regret. I, I didn't necessarily mean your NBA career. I mentioned in case of, you know, some of those other decisions. I, you brought something into the light. I don't think you necessarily regret it, but it also cost you relationships with that university that you start at. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely a risk that I, I had to make and a decision that I had to make um, in order to create change, the type of change that can create opportunities for compensation for athletes in college, um, the, the type of uh, change that can create education, real education for athletes in college. Um, I look at a guy like uh, LeVar Ball who steps out of the norm and he wants to create an opportunity to take advantage of his kids' talents as much as possible. 
So you have to take a, you have to take a certain risk there. We have to rub people the wrong way, and um, eventually the things that come to light is the truth. And with the truth comes change. So you know, with Carolina, the relationship may be ruined, but they have to change what happened. They have to address what happened, and um, along the way, you know. Somebody's going to have to, you know, tap Roy Williams on the shoulder and just say, you know, the accountability is left on you as a mentor. Um, you know, taking these 17, 18-year-old kids under your wing to make sure that you're promising and, and, and delivering on that promise. And that's all I'm about. I'm, I, I, the relationship and Coach Williams and all that doesn't really matter to me. I'm a, I'm a grown man now, you know, and I don't really like calling him Coach Williams anymore because he's Roy. He's a man. So, Moving forward, you know, the regret, it can't it can't build up inside of me any more than deciding to go to a different university. But, you know, my whole reason going there was because Michael Jordan went there. If he would have went to Vanderbilt, that's what I would have went. So um, in that regard, you know, we just, we just looking for education reform and, and, and hoping that in the future we can get compensated for what we do for these universities instead of, being left out for what we do for the universities. Do you think it's repairable? I mean, I mean, not right now, Rashad, but do you think 15, 20 years from now, when you're in your early 50s, do you think, the re- you know, at some point in time, do you think the relationship between you and North Carolina is repairable? I have no idea, to be honest. I mean, it's a fraternity, and it's a deep one. And uh, the wounds are deep, um, and there's a lot of people who are really pissed off, and, uh, and, and they have the right to. Um, but I, I feel the same with parents whose kids are right now, you know, my age, you can't get a job because they don't have credible education. You know, um, African-American studies is just being black in America, you know, and, and, and for us to go to school and be filtered into those courses, um, it's, it's, it's not it's not a good look. It's not a good look. So uh, for me, you know, 10, 20 years down the line, if there happens to be, you know, um, some type of, Band-Aid that could be put on this this relationship. I, I'm open to it. Um, I'm a Carolina guy. I'm a Southern guy. I, I, I love North Carolina. I love the fans. Sure. Um, and and I can't say no to that. I mean, because I grew up my whole life is surrounded by being number 32 at Carolina. No question. And helping them win a national championship in 05. Um, Rashad, what do you you know? What do you hope to put on display this summer in the Big Three League? Um, you know, it's going to be fun to watch and seeing all these former stars go out there and play. You know, where are you right now, uh, basketball wise? You know, you know, you're in your early 30s. Um, what what do you want to put on display for the fans? Well, first things first is you know, point specialist. I have to shoot a lot of four point shots. The 35 foot four point shot for the Big Three is going to be instrumental. Uh, for guys like myself, Chauncey Billups, Rashard Lewis, and Jason Williams, um, definitely displaying my versatility uh, as a defender and an offensive player, post-ups, drives, dunks. Um, it's going to be an overall display of just helping the fans remember how good I was. And, you know, we don't have to – it doesn't go all that far back, Rashad, because you were a hell of a player. And this is going to be a fun league, you know, and – it really is. And you get out you know, for the fans to enjoy the game of basketball, see a lot of former stars go out there and enjoy the game and put on a show. I mean, that's really what it's all about. It's going to be something I think that, uh, you know, it's going to prove to be pretty successful for you guys for Ice Cube. Absolutely. And um, it's an opportunity also to, to, to display some 
product placement for guys like uh, the Big Baller brand, uh, who I definitely support and plan on, you know, wearing uh, the Zotus out there for the first time and be the first athlete to really wear the shoe and support the shoe. Um, I think that other opportunities, like being around the camaraderie of former NBA players um, and uh, legendary coaches is just extraordinary. Hey, Rashad, uh, don't be a stranger. Best of luck, all right, in the Big Three League. Really enjoy the last 10, 12 minutes, and, uh, and have a great summer. Have a great Memorial Day weekend, all right, bud? Thank you so much, man. Follow me on Instagram, Rashad McCann. Brother. You got it. Will do. Hit him up on social media. Uh, that puts a nice bow on this one. Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. Thanks to everybody. Fantastic job. Moose and Maggie, talk to you next weekend. CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.